Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You're entering a new dimension of sight and sound. This is Rod Serling, and this is the Twilight Zone of Action Radio. Actually, <laughs> today's going to be a really fun day. Um, we literally are in the Twilight Zone. I've got uh, my high school friend, uh, who's an absolute genius, uh, Jonathan Kohler. Uh, and we're going to do a, a live chat, Zoom, and I'll be on the show here all at the same time, which I have no idea how it's going to work. And we can't really test it because you can only test this kind of stuff while the show is on. Um, but uh, we're going to do a, a live chat with Bard. And we were on it yesterday for about three hours after the show. And I finally said, shut up, stop. We've got to go away. I've had enough of this. Anyway, I started a conversation with Bard on, on why airplanes fly. And apparently it's, uh, it's told me that the wings of commercial airliners uh, are 11 times too small. So they really can't fly. We're going to pick that up later in the show. Let's get to uh, Brianna now. She's probably chuckling away. But uh, it's going to be an interesting day here. Again, I have no idea what's going to happen. But that's, that's what makes this show so much fun. She started as a guest on Action Radio, courtesy of our Constitution reporter, Amber Kemper. Both Brianna and Amber are graduates of Patriot Academy, a place where young folks get to practice writing and advocating legislation and being legislators in a mock session. Brianna immediately impressed all of us as someone we wanted on the show with her own report. With an insightful mind, asking and taking on complex questions, and a growing skill in sarcasm and satire, plus her study of government, history, the Constitution, and our founding, all of her skills and knowledge combine into something pretty incredible here on Action Radio. And now, the Government Inquiry Report with Brianna Cannon. Good morning, Brianna. Are you ready for the fun? Good morning. <laughs> I don't know if you can hang out or, or listen in the third hour, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty wild around here. Um, have you ever had the chance to watch some of the old Twilight Zone episodes? You know, Rod Sterling there with his cigarette and black and white, and everybody is that that theme music, do 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 do, because that's actually how they started. Um, but did you ever get a chance to watch any of those? No, I have not. Okay, so we we have to update your education here to uh, and, and most of these were written. These are actually uh, done. This is early early sixties, maybe even late fifties. Uh, then he had other shows, The Outer Limits, but The Twilight Zone, it was all psychological, and it was also all pro freedom. And so you look at the, the early Star Treks and the, and the Twilight Zone, uh, and some of the other shows out there. They're really concerned with freedom and oppressive government, whether they were aliens or or other things. But it's it's a fascinating study. And so it, it would make, it'd be worth taking a look at sometime. Um, but that's when people joke about going to the Twilight Zone, that sort of intermediary between, you know, dark and light and, uh, you know, the, the, the boundary of where we don't quite know what's going on. That's where we're going today as we enter the world of, of uh, artificial intelligence and actually try and play around with it a little bit with someone that really knows it. Because I, uh, I think Jonathan, my friend, either has a doctorate in physics or I know he's got at least an undergrad from Harvard, but somewhere along the way, he's like the smartest person I know, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's kind of fun to have us, you know, to have him on the show. So uh, do you know anything about AI? Have you, have you studied, played with it? Have you tried a, a bard conversation? It's not that hard to log on. I, I do that this morning before the show. Um, no, I don't. Um, I guess the only AI I use is the ones that aren't labeled AI, I guess. <laughs> but, um, 
Um, no, I try not to use it as much as possible. Mm. Well, I think I'm already a target. My uh, Our website, writeyourlaws.com, got hacked twice in the last week. And so I've upgraded everything, put new security on, and hopefully uh, and my, my host is actually uh, doing pretty well. But uh, I need a new webmaster because we need to change some things and an update and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, so uh, obviously we're attracting the attention of somebody because they've hacked me twice. And, uh, you know, and uh, before I could get a chance to call my security folks, um, they, they, they did the second one, but we got that all cleaned up last night. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really good at all this computer stuff, but uh, I use it. But AI, I, I find fascinating. Um, here's one more question before we get to, to your stuff. I think I found AI in YouTube's. And I don't know, like I say, how much you know about this, and I'll ask Jonathan later on. But I'm seeing uh, YouTube's where the, the, uh, the voice seems a little synthetic, and they're mispronouncing words. Um, I was watching an airplane video, and they said uh, fuselage instead of fuselage because it's a French word originally because French had so much to do with early aviation. And there are other words that uh, anytime it's uh, – uh, or they were, I was watching um, a handgun video, and they were talking about the 357 Magnum instead of 357 Magnum like the rest of us say. Have you noticed little things like that of, of mispronunciations or, or words that you think they would know better? Because I'm wondering if that's AI. If those are AI-generated videos, and they just haven't programmed in. Uh, the different language changes as we use, you know, words from different languages in English or different expressions like numbers. Because normally you see 357, you say 357, unless it's a gun, in which case you say 357, because that's the caliber. That's not related to like a, a distance or anything. Well, like, so this distance. Have you noticed that? Videos, mispronounced words? Yeah, and like on a GPS too, they'll mispronounce words. Hmm. But I always would think of them as just like... Um, because they have automated, like, voices on things. Right. And so I figure just whatever, like, automated reader has for the captions or, or whatever it is is just a little wonky. But I guess it would count as AI, I guess. I don't know. I haven't looked I would think into so. that. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, Jonathan's listening right now. He just uh, typed into our live chat. So uh, uh, I'll repeat the question for him. So, Jonathan, um, and we're waiting for um, – uh, Marco. Marco usually joins us from the Netherlands. We'll see if he types in as well. But uh, the idea that uh, on video uh, YouTube's Jonathan, we get oh he's right there now. <laughs> I was bring him on the conversation. Then we'll uh, uh, we'll see what's going on. Maybe you heard the question. John, did, did you hear the question I was asking uh, Brianna? No, I, I missed the first part of it. We're wondering if, and I'm going to get to her topic in just a minute. But uh, you're certainly welcome now that you're here to, to stick around for a while because this is going to be fun. Um, YouTube's I, I see or I hear mispronunciations like. Uh, 357 Magnum came out 357 Magnum. Uh, an airplane video, they said fuselage instead of fuselage because they don't know the French translation. Is that an indication of AI or is that a flaw in AI? Yeah, that's just, you know, they, um, they, in language pronunciation, there are so many different special cases. If they mm -hmm. haven't trained it with sufficient data, it's going to make lots of mistakes like that. And when you're doing translation, it's much harder than just speaking. Speaking, they've gotten down pretty well. The good, the well-programmed uh, expert systems for doing that um, can do that very well. They're not AI. Again, people use the word AI to refer to lots of stuff that is not AI. Um, okay. uh, expert systems are not AI because what AI means software that learns. Expert systems don't learn. They're pre-programmed. Okay. 
All right. Um, let me see if Brianna has a question for you. Then I want to go down to her report. But uh, and you can feel free to ask your questions as well. Brianna, do you, now that I got Jonathan here, I mean, like, this is totally unplanned. I mean, I didn't expect him this early, which is fine. But that's we do that a lot here on the show. Do you have any AI questions? Anything you've wondered about? And I'm kind of changing the subject here on you a little bit. Um, not necessarily, unless there's a good way to ban it. <laughs> okay, hold, hold on. <laughs> Hold on to that, that, that thought for a little bit. Let's get to your stuff. What's, what's you been thinking about this week? What's, uh, what's been on your mind? Um, so I actually plan to read a little bit of this and kind of discuss, like, um, things that we're seeing today, kind of like thinking through it all. Um, okay. But I also have some just topics to talk about if we need to. Sure. Um, I'll start with the big one. We were, uh, so, I, I learned a long time ago, don't, don't save your, your best topic for last because we never get there. <laughs> Jonathan uh, Mosley and I uh, figured that out quite a while back. So, yeah. So what you got? Yeah. So most of these readings are from The Law by Frederick mm-hmm. Bastiat, which right. I think a lot of the older generation has read it and knows about it, but probably nobody from my generation really knows about this. Well, I've heard about um, it, but I haven't read it yet. So speaking from the older generation, <laughs> Brianna, uh, I'll get to it. It's, it's on my long list of reading things, which for me being ADHD is always a problem. But uh, so tell me, what's, uh, why did he write it? What, was, when were, what were the times he wrote it in? And what kind of inspired? It sounds like uh, Kafka's um, The Law. Are they similar, Franz Kafka? Um, I are you saying French Kafka? No, Franz. Uh, I think he was Austrian. No, he wrote. What did he write a book? Uh, it was all about bureaucracy. Was it? The, it wasn't. The, no, it was the trial. I'm sorry. This was my literary uh, uh, mistake. He wrote a book called The Trial, and he was charged. He didn't know what the charge was. There was these nameless, faceless bureaucrats that were charging him. I guess it was done the Star Chamber. You know, a trial where you're automatically ruled guilty, and it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to be guilty anyway. Um, so that's, it was called the trial. So I'm wondering if they're similar. I'll have to check out them both. The trial I read in, in I think, either high school or college, um, but I don't think I ever got the law by uh, Bastiat. Well, his, his most, Kafka's most famous uh, um, thing was the metamorphosis. Oh, okay. Which is a very famous story. It's about a, like a beetle like an insect type creature that wakes up. He wakes up one morning and he's a beetle lying on a bed and he can't figure out how to get off his back. Very interesting story. <laughs> wow. That, that sounds almost like karma. I can see Buddhism being thrown in there too. You come back as a beetle. If, don't screw up your life. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> huh. All right. So, so tell me about uh, Bastiat. Tell me about the law, Brianna. So it was written in like 1856, maybe. Here, let me check the last. Okay, 1850. So right, right before a civil war. So I wonder if that that plays into it. Where where is he from? Um, I guess maybe. Honestly, I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> but um, I guess the rest of it kind of follows along with the law. It starts with like the purpose of law, how it's been. Um, changed, mishandled, and then what he does is something that I think is really, really interesting. He quotes a series of bunch of different, like, socialist thinkers, or some people will say, like, communist thinkers or something. And yeah, he Karl would Marx was about write down what their theories are, yeah, like Marx how they was, would implement this, yeah. what makes people follow these, how it okay. contradicts the law, how it works. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. Okay. Give me... 
just one moment. I'm sure. going to go on the Yeah, I hear you fussing with papers there. <laughs> Jonathan, if you have a comment, too, feel free. Uh, but I'm thinking Mark's... We're talking about, about the Bastiat, Frederick Bastiat's book, The Law. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with yeah. that? No, but I'm just, I just Googled it here. It's a French, he's a French author, and, and he evidently was an influential uh, philosopher about this subject. And he goes through and he describes natural law and then how the how, um, traditional law comes out of that. Okay, so that's interesting because a lot of our founding documents are based on, on natural law and progressing yes. from there. And so I'm wondering, if he's 1850s, uh, Karl Marx was like 1830s, 1840s. I'm just going by memory here. I could be wrong on that. Uh, and he was um, out of Germany. Uh, and then you had the Austrian school which is of economics, which is the exact opposite. Um, von Mises and some of those other folks. So, so that was getting interesting. So I wonder if his law and economics plays into it. So, so uh, Brianna, you got your, your paper shuffled? You ready to go? Yeah, I just had to deal with the dog real fast. <laughs> okay, no problem. It's, it's live radio. Stuff happens. We understand. So it's actually um, way too long to just, like, read on here. Okay. So I'll, I'll you probably, got a favorite like, take out yeah. different sections and stuff so mm-hmm. we can talk about those. Sure. Um, so the first one, the first section I'm going to start, it's like you guys have pulled up or like want to follow along or anything like that. It's on page no, I'm just gonna three. Listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the complete perversion of the law. Hmm. He says, but unfortunately, law by no means confines itself to its proper functions. And when it has exceeded its proper functions, it has not done so merely in some inconsequential and debatable matters. The law has gone further than this. It has acted in direct opposition to its own purpose. The law has been used to destroy its own objective. It has been applied to annihilating the justice that it was supposed to maintain, to limiting and destroying rights to which its real purpose was to respect. The law placed the collective force at the disposal of the unscrupulous without risk to exploit the person liberty, and property of others. It has converted plunder into a right in order to protect plunder, and it has converted lawful defense into a crime in order to punish lawful defense. How has this perversion of the law been accomplished, and what have been the results? The law has been perverted by the influence of two entirely different causes, stupid greed and false philanthropy. Let us speak of the first, and then it will go into both those. Okay, hold it right there just for a second because this is fascinating. Um, you've got basically our founding principles right there that the law has been perverted. That uh, it, We read the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Jonathan, we read it in, on, uh, on July 4th, and Brianna was one of our readers. And uh-huh. we went through, the, went through the list of grievances. And this is very similar. Uh, if you look at the list of grievances in the Declaration and, and what uh, Basia is talking about here, you know, the law has been reversed. And I've talked about this a ton of times with uh, – you know, I've also, I don't know if I've done an article on this, but the Second Amendment has been reversed, where the government gets all the guns they want and the people get disarmed instead of the other way around. Brianna, do you right. see that? Do, do you see a reversal of law and how that, that has come about and why, basically why we're here at Action Radio? Brianna, yeah, and one of the things that um, he talks about further in here, I think I marked it somewhere. I'll find mm-hmm. it as we go, but he was talking about the two things that can ultimately like just basically take it down is changing your liberty or taking away your liberty and your property. Mm -hmm. Like those are the most important things. 
how about your life? Because the you know, pursuit of happiness is basically property. So our, our constitution, uh, our rights are based on life, liberty, and property. That rights come from God, not from government. And the reversal throughout history, before and after our founding in our country now, uh, seemed to be that uh, the government you know, gives you all the rights and the government controls all the property. It's a complete reversal of everything that we stand for. Well, I Brianna? think you're saying like more directly, like once you get rid of their property, once mm-hmm. you get rid of their liberty, then you, you have complete control over them. So over their lives. Yeah, their lives basically belong to the government at that point. Okay, it's like the Great Reset. You know, you will own nothing, you will eat bugs, and you'll be happy. It's like the right. same stuff just keeps coming around. Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan, what do you think? If you want to talk directly to Brianna, feel free. Yeah, it's it, it, um, hi, Brianna. Nice to meet you. Um. Yeah, the hello. The, hello. The, the Constitution is kind of unique in that it, it, it reverses traditional structure of government that existed basically everywhere else. And mm-hmm. it basically says the most fundamental sort of tenet is that, first of all, our rights come from God, number one. And number two, um, the most fundamental rights. And number two, the people have all of the authority. There's zero authority. Uh, There's no natural authority vested in government. Mm -hmm. So the only authority that government has is those authorities which are specifically delegated to it in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we have many senators and representatives in the House who don't even realize that. It's amazing since they... (laughs) They swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, but I've listened to, to uh, speeches by senators who, who are saying the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Funny you should mention the oath. Um, Brianna, how's your bill going on, on uh, holding the, the, uh, our Congress folks to take their oath to their oath? Do you ever make any progress on that? Um, I actually, I made a lot of changes. I can send you the new copy. No rush. You don't have to do it right now. Um, so Jonathan Brianna's writing a bill to actually compel members of Congress to uphold their oath, and if they fail to do so, that'd be grounds for removing them. That'd be great. <laughs> you would think it already is grounds. I mean, but uh, one would think it well, actually just... is. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Brianna. It's already in place, like violations and punishments and stuff for for if you violate it. But the only problem is it's not enforced. That's the problem with the law. Is like. The crimes that our own government makes, they're never enforced or held accountable. Actually, Frederick Bastiat also talks about that in this as well. Okay. Um, but if they don't hold themselves accountable, but they'll hold American citizens accountable for things that they haven't even done wrong. And so this, I think, also goes along with complete perversion of power. This is fun. But yeah, no, no, this um, is interesting. Keep what going. I'm let's, doing let's, is let's I'm kind more. of shoving it yeah. in their face. And I'm mm-hmm. telling everybody else in the United States about it. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping this will kind of like put pressure and be like, hey, you kind of have to do this now. It's obvious now. That's my hope kind of at this point. And then if they no, I think... don't do this process of shoving it in their faces and proving that it's there, then at that point there's also consequences. So I don't know how well it will work, but I don't know any better ideas because <laughs> – well, see, here's the thing. We're all pioneers here. None of us know what's going to happen with this. You know, I'm, I'm working with some folks to get some major people uh, involved with, with what's happening uh, with Action Radio. I'm hoping to get uh, even maybe Robert Francis Kennedy on the show, uh, especially with our vaccine product liability bill and our big tech bill. I mean, this is exactly the things he's talking about. 
uh, some of the other folks, you know, behind the scenes and things happening. So you don't know. This is going to explode one day. It's just a question of how and when. But it is, I, I believe it's inevitable. Um, you're off to, I think, Patriot Academy next week. Is that true? Yes. Okay. So are you, are you, is this one of the bills you're able to present to them? Yes, this is the bill I'm doing. Okay. Well, let's work on it this week then before you go. Um, make sure it's in, in the shape that you want for it. And, um, if, you know, I'd love to. I want to hear all about this. Jonathan, do you know about Patriot Academy? Have you ever heard of this? No, I'm not familiar with that. It's fascinating. Brianna, you want to, Becky, you can tell everybody what you're all doing this year. Sure. Yeah. So we, it's one of, it's like the best kind of um, student kind of system that you can go to. Um, it's down at the Texas State Capitol for a week, and it's like the most realistic mock legislative session. And there's others that will go to the Capitol and stuff, but um, I guess this one's like well known for the process that they do or making it realistic. So what we do is we have there for seven days, and they put out schedules and stuff. And before every individual goes, you know, you have to apply and everything. But then you have um, different like readings and kind of like prep homework and stuff to do beforehand. And what every single person has to do before they go there is write a bill. And they'll have like mentors to, um, I guess, help with like how to write it or some of the regulations or anything. And it's funny because the further or the more times that you go, some of them will put in just absolutely ridiculous bills or bills that are intentionally meant to trick the other members. Even if it's a bill they don't necessarily like, they'll do it just to get people to kind of think and, and understand what a good and a bad bill would be like. Um, and they'll go up I, there and try and get people to pass this Jonathan? horrible bill, even though. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the website for it now. It looks very interesting. It looks like a great program. With You have a lot of constitutional study and biblical citizenship and speakers. How many speakers are at the event? Oh, um, I don't know if I'd have to guess, like 20. Wow. <laughs> and it's, a whole, a it's, it's like a week of intensive study? Yes, and we go do like different workshops and stuff to practice different sp- different skills. Like there was this one over like minimum wage, where we practice like having an implemented minimum wage, having just free for all minimum wage, just different things like that. And you'd have to go and like get a job with one of these people. Um, there was another one where it's like a campaign process where you were put into a group and you had to have a candidate and you had to elect all the other positions and just, yeah, they would throw problems at you and have you solve them like a matter of minutes and things. Um, and so they had different things like that as well as a bunch of the speakers. And I think one of the most um, important parts of this thing is how they drive in like your character. Like they make your character kind of like the highest thing that they're trying to form um, you to have a good character and to follow like biblical and constitutional principles. Um, they actually have a fun thing with a golf ball. What's but, that? <laughs> okay, now I'm curious. What? Too, yeah. <laughs> what do you do with a golf ball, Brianna? <laughs> okay, so it's a fun little tradition that we have there. So on the first day, or is it the second day? I think it's the second day. Everybody gets a golf ball. And so they've got a little Patriot Academy emblem on it. And the thing is, you always, as soon as you get it, you have to keep it in your hand at all times, unless you're, like, in your room at night to sleep or if you're going to the bathroom. And if you drop it or you set it down, somebody will take it. 
and then they'll turn it in. And then you have to go up in front of everybody and recite one of these character quotes that you have to remember. And if you do it three times, you have to sing a Veggie Tale song, but instead of hair, like, have you ever, like, where's my hairbrush? Well, you have to do that, but you have to say golf ball instead of hairbrush. And so you have to sing that in front of everybody. And I know there's a good reason for this, even though it sounds hysterical. This this sounds like either a fraternity ritual or something out of an old gladiator movie where you had to carry your sword or carry a rock around with you. I remember that with with Tony Curtis carrying a rock in like a Ben-Hur film. Why, why, Brianna? Tell me the golf ball story. Why? So the main point of the thing, they're symbolizing, I guess, through this is never, like, let go of your character, never drop your character, you know, always hold on to it. And okay. what they have you, they have you memorizing the character quotes so that if you drop it, you'll you'll go up and say it. So they'll have you constantly kind of thinking about it, of keeping your character. Um, hmm. So that's just kind of nice, you know, how they do it. And it's fun because you're always looking for a golf ball to snag. But... <laughs> well, you, you know what's interesting about this? Uh, one of my goals I'm hoping to, and I've actually talked to some of the Patriot Academy folks about this, I'd love to get graduates uh, as lobbyists for our bills because our bills are you know, viable, state level, county level, uh, con- congressional level. And so a lot of things we do here would be great to connect with that. And also I'm trying to connect with Turning Point, uh, Turning Point USA. But uh, it's always the same thing as getting past the minions and telling folks that, yes, we, you know, regular people can write bills that can go directly in the legislature. And if anybody would, would see that, it's folks that are teaching it. And, of course, the Patriot Academy. So I think it's going to be a tremendous resource. We just haven't seemed to quite connect yet. But uh, I'll be working on that probably when you get back and we can talk more about it. So any more golf ball stories? you want to get back to uh, Bastiat or Jonathan? Do you have any questions, any further questions? Do they, on, I, I'm on wondering Patriot about the – the Patriot Academy, do they have any courses there where they teach you about logic? Um, I don't know if you feel like directly like about logic, but they do have a couple of classes like biblical citizenship and um, constitutional life, and they have like a constitutional defense one. So I know they have a couple of courses um, that I guess would be logical, but <laughs> I don't know if any of them focus on logic, I guess. Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the problems in our education system today um, is that logic is what underpins everything. And unfortunately, the what bad people do is they fail to use logic while pretending to, to use logic to deceive people. And if you don't understand logic carefully, you can be easily deceived. Um and so when you hear a lot of arguments made by the Democrats nowadays um, and the left wing and the communists and so forth, their arguments are completely illogical, but to the uninitiated, they sound logical. And so that's how they get away with it, by deceiving people. Because most people, if you ask a person, are you illo- do you believe in illogical arguments, they'll say no. And yet they do, the vast majority of people. Every day they believe in it. That's why, for example, I mean, I'll give you a simple example of that. One of the strategies of illogic and lies that the left wing promulgates is to say that um, every time someone gets killed, like at a school shooting or something, immediately all the Democrats from the president on down get on TV and start saying, guns, 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 we have to ban guns, guns, guns. Now, at the, 
that sounds like a logical, visceral response. Ooh, someone was shot with a gun, therefore guns must be bad, except it's totally illogical, actually, because the implement that someone was killed with has nothing to do, it, it doesn't make the implement bad. It's like saying, oh, someone was killed with a fist today. Let's ban fists. We need fist laws. You know, someone was, was killed uh, because they tripped over a, um, a, uh, a door sill. We have to ban door sills. Okay. So it, and it's not only, and it's much worse than that, of course, because if you actually then go use logic and you go look at the numbers and you say, okay, how many people were killed by guns? Who was using the guns? And they weren't killed by guns. They were killed by people using guns. E- even the language is illogical. For example, they call it, quote unquote, gun violence. Now, the reason they call it that is they have indoctrinated people to repeat that phrase. Even a lot of conservatives use the phrase. They don't even realize that they've been indoctrinated by the left to use these meaningless words. You, you hear the phrase gun violence all the time. Guns aren't violence. Guns are a tool. Do you ever hear the term hammer violence? Do you ever hear the term... <laughs> You know, door violence. People are injured by doors every day. Is that door violence? No. Okay. Um, well, you better arrest he, the carpenters because, you know, we don't have enough carpenter control. Right. Um, yeah. Well, is let it, me just Is there jump car in violence? Is there car yeah, violence? Let me jump in every, people are, you know? <laughs> yeah, but here's what's really important. Uh, and I, don't, I never took the course in high school, but Jonathan, you, took, you probably took logic and they had proofs and they had all these symbols and different things. To me, it was like a foreign language. Uh, I don't think that's taught anymore. Did, did you take a logic course, either high school, college, where you use those symbols? I studied, it, I studied logic myself, but, but yeah, you have okay. to, to make any coherent argument, you have to use logic. And I remember reading once a, a lengthy um, legal piece about uh-huh. logic and the law. And this guy was arguing, and he had a very lengthy, detailed argument claiming that, you know, you can't just use logic in the law. And his argument, of course, was completely wrong. <laughs> and any first grader who understands logic knows that. But this is what a lot of lawyers believe, too. And the, 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 basically, the, the basis for saying that you can't use logic only in the law is because some, th- some problems are not um, easy, soluble. In other words, when you have a, a case in law, you present evidence and a jury finds which facts are the real facts and it decides whether or not the weight of the evidence goes one way or the other. But, and so different people can come to different decisions, right? That, and that they use that to say, well, it's not just logic. That's not true. It is just logic. The fact that different people can come to different decisions based on the same evidence is not illogical. That's totally logical. Um, and, you know and logic uh, underpins everything. But when you go with illogic, yeah. illogic is saying, oh, my God, we have millions of people who have guns. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of have never committed a crime in their life. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, hundreds of thousands of them have prevented crimes using their guns. Right. We need to ban all those guns from those people because point oh 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 one percent of the people committed various crimes using a gun there's no logic in that but they don't say that they just get on tv and say guns 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 gun violence gun violence it's all it's all programming of illogical stuff and if you recognize logic you can immediately recognize the lies but if you don't recognize logic 
it always sounds like it might be true. Well, here's what I'm thinking right away. Um, Brianna, how do we add speakers? Jonathan would be an excellent speaker at the next Patriot Academy, you know, to teach this. How would, yeah, how would that um, I can talk to, I can talk to one of the people there um, mm-hmm. to contact, but I don't know if there's like a specific way to do it, I guess, unless we're getting in contact with them, but I can definitely do that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Patriot Academy actually like, goes along with what Jonathan was talking about, mm-hmm. and I think it was actually being talked about by David Bar- Barton, um, and he's part of Wall Builders, which is also another um, wonderful thing. It's really similar to Patriot Academy. Um, mm-hmm. They have, like, an entire library of, like, um, primary source documents and such and true history. But he was talking about, you know, um, people have killed people since the beginning of time. The means of the weapons to use it, it only changes and, like, advancement and stuff, but people still equalize that. So, you know, mm-hmm. at the very beginning, you know, Cain and, and he was talking about the story of Cain and Abel. He used a rock, you know, and he was saying you can use a soup can to kill somebody, you know. So really it's not necessarily the weapon that's the problem. It's the people's hearts that are the problem. Correct. And and it's not only that it's not the problem, it's that if you look at the numbers, the numbers all, people lie, but numbers don't lie. Um, and if you say to yourself, okay, what, percent, what percentage of crimes are done with this or that in this or that circumstance, right? So if we look at um, what they call mass killings, now there's another fake name. They call them mass killings. Whenever a shooter goes into a school and kills a bunch of kids, they call that a mass killing. In fact, they've defined a mass killing as any killing. As I said, I recall the latest FBI definition is any event where three or more people are killed. Maybe it's four, but it's some small number. No, I think it was changed. It was changed from four to three. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to get back so- to you know, I get back to Brianna's in a little bit here, but this is this is a good argument um, as far as logic goes because it's fascinating. Unless Brianna, you you're happy doing this, or do you want to get back to more of your stuff? I'm good. I mean, if he has a couple of things, you know, that okay. he wants right, to get to we, we, yeah. we get a little spontaneous around here, too. Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. Just, a, just a quick point. No, go ahead. Keep yeah, going. So, so the use yeah. of the term mass killing, mass mm-hmm. means huge numbers, but right. it actually refers to small events where a few people are killed. And in fact, if you add together all of the mass killings in the last 30 years, it's a tiny, tiny percentage of the murders that happen in the United States. Okay. The vast majority of murders happen one at a time or two at a time. So by creating this false name of mass killings, which immediately connotes that this is massive, this is huge, it's happening a lot, when in fact it happens almost never to a small number of people, you're, you're at the same time you're ignoring the vast majority of the murders that take place. The massive majority. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, gang so it's, it's, and young black men is what it really comes down to for the, for the greatest number of killings. Uh, that's in correct. Criminal. In inner cities, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you actually both a question now that I think about it here. Uh, I wrote down critical thinking skills. 
And one would think that one of the most, the most critical thinking skills is logic because, and, and Brianna's heard me say this a bunch of times on the show, that everything in action radio goes through the logic and reason filter. I don't read, you know, all these scholars about constitution. I read the constitution. You know, I, I can think of things, you know, the way we analyze stuff, you know, like Brianna will do this. We'll, we'll analyze things we don't have all the expert opinions on, but we can simply use our own logic and reason. Uh, and that's how we do this. So the contrary, the, the corollary of logic is reason. I mean, they have to go together because once you get the logic to understand, you have to have the reason to, to proceed to a conclusion. But have right. either of you noticed that one of the first things that uh, critical thinking skills have abandoned is one of the most critical thinking skills, which is logic? Brianna, did you ever have logic in school or even talk about it? Um, no. Remember, my generation is kind of opposed to critical thinking. <laughs> So, so they are so they are actually critical of thinking is, is, is what it sounds like don't you know those don't think play on words interesting jonathan what what grade are you in in brianna i'm about to go into my senior year senior great well it's great that you're studying all this stuff you know i didn't learn much about civics i mean i wasn't that into the subject as a you know Thing, but I didn't learn about civics in high school. I was mostly a math, science, music person. Um, but uh, it's great that you're learning all this stuff because the more I learn about Constitution and and the Bible and all the and the relationships between them and the, mm-hmm. the logic that goes into all of it, it's really quite an amazing subject. It's a very difficult subject. Yeah, but it's fun to play with. Yeah. I, I started, I took a course in constitutional law in college, just kind of on a whim, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that really, the other thing that really helped me was when I went for my citizenship. So I was, uh, you know, Canadian until I was 21 when I became a naturalized American. And the process of citizenship, the old process, I don't know what they do now. Uh, now they just, you know, walk you in across the border. Um, but it used to be really good, <laughs> and you got a tremendous, appre- yeah, sure, a tremendous appreciation for this country. Uh, Brianna, did we have a bill on that? Was it was it yours working with, uh, or you working on a bill that? Uh, Anybody running for Congress uh, or in Congress has to have the same citizenship test, the old test, uh, that immigrants used to have. Um, no, I know Amber was doing one over taking a civics test of some sort, but um, okay. yeah, I didn't. We're going to get back in touch like with that. her. Yeah, Is she going to Patriot Academy this year? Amber's one of our other reports. Actually, Amber introduced us to Brianna, so, uh, and then nice. she got busy with college. Yes. Yeah. She's going, okay, talk to her. Let's get her back on the show. Yeah, I kind of miss having one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think her bill was protecting women in prison to where um, men have to go to men's prison, women have to go to women's prison. Gee, that makes sense. (laughs) And again, we're stating the (laughs) obvious here. Um, She had another bill I really want to work on. You wouldn't think you'd have to say that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's and that's a whole question of logic itself. She had a bill that I really wanted to get, which was an electric car tax bill to equalize the tax, you know, per volt. You know, in fact, this is something Jonathan might help us with as a conversion factor of how many kilowatts per hour can be taxed at the equivalent rate of, of a gas, you know, a per gallon gas tax. And then I want to put a massive hazmat fee on the battery. Uh, we were trying to get Grover Norquist for the longest time, almost a year I was trying to get him on. And he's been on the show before, too. He's Americans for Tax uh, Justice. Uh, he has the tax pledge. But we never could snag him there. And I want to get him to work with uh, Amber directly. Um, okay, let's you're breaking up, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan, you're breaking up a little bit. Yeah, Jonathan, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if you changed something. Moves. 
Um, no, you can. I don't know. Try it again. No, you're breaking up now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marco says you're breaking up a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah, if you want to call right back in, you've got the direct connect. It should work again. If not, text me and I'll, I'll send you one. Or just, I don't know, okay. did you move or change something or what happened? No. Did anything? I didn't change anything. Okay, and I haven't added any extras to my uh, my board. Sometimes that and, uh, excuse me, uh, Brianna, did you hear Jonathan? Okay or no? Oh no, it was very crackled. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll call, right call back. back. Yeah. Well, now it sounds fine. Well, no, hang on, it sounds good now. Sounds okay. Yeah, yeah I'm on a one gigabit c- connection here, so it shouldn't be anything on my end theoretically. Well, sometimes we get disturbances. It's probably the FBI. They're always you know joining my <laughs> show without telling me. So I want to. As I do my daily invite to the FBI KGB to uh, call the show, 215-383-3832. You know, and if you want to invade my house, just let me know ahead of time so I can make coffee and we can chat like civilized people. All right, that's done. <laughs> um, stupid greed. Uh, you mentioned that with Bastiat a little earlier. Uh, and then you said something else about philanthropy, but just the idea of combining stupid and greed together. Because you don't often associate those two words. I'm curious now. Yeah, I I I think you're right. It's not often correlated, but I think it's very accurate. Because okay, a lot of times me. when people get greedy, they don't really think in the logical sense. I think of politicians, you know, they have a mm-hmm. logical outline that they're supposed to follow. They get greedy and they surpass it, you know. They do something stupid. Um, <laughs> and in the long okay, run, no, it hurts everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So what does Bastia say about stupid so, greed? Because uh, that's some, I'm kind of curious about that. Um, he goes into bigger sections. Like one of them, it says um, the fatal tendency of mankind, property and plunder, victims mm-hmm. of lawful plunder, results of legal plunder, fate of nonconformists. Um, well, that'd be us. Who shall I judge? And he has different sections that kind of dissect each of these ideas. So the government that's, that was – where the laws that were supposed to protect people, which is the ones that we write, have been used by government to protect government and to plunder the people. So in other words, the law has basically reversed itself in its intent by the, yeah. very, group, by the very group that was supposed to use it for its good intent. So we're talking evil here. Um, remember, I think it was – They're Shakespeare no longer the serving the people but serving themselves. Exactly. So it's either Shakespeare or the Bible, I keep forgetting, uh, and everybody misquotes it. They say money is the root of all evil. That's not the quote. The quote is the love of money is the root of all evil. And if, yeah. you, apply that, if you apply that to stupid greed in politics, would the love of power also be equally a root of evil as the love of money? And if you combine both of them, does that lead to stupid greed? Brianna. Yeah. We can think about that for a minute. Jonathan, yeah, and I'm going to... All right, go ahead, Brianna. Uh, um, I was going to go okay. ahead and read this one part about it because I think it's mm-hmm. also kind of interesting. And there's a okay. ton in here that we could use on any day. Um, yeah. It's the results of legal plunder. It says, it is impossible to introduce into a society a greater change and a greater, greater evil than this, the conversion of the law into an instrument of plunder. So instead of something like protecting the rights of the people, it takes away the rights of the people. And they say they're hmm. doing it legally. Because plunder is known as like legal theft or something. And it says, what are the consequences of such perversion? It would require volumes to describe them all. 
Thus, we must content ourselves with pointing out the most striking. In the first place, it erases from everyone's conscience the distinction between justice and injustice. I thought that was hmm. really profound. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, no society can exist unless the laws are respected to a certain degree. The safest way to make laws respected is to make them respectable. When law and morality contradict each other, the citizen has the cruel alternative of either losing his moral sense or losing his respect for the law. These two evils are of equal consequence, and it would be difficult for a person to choose between them. The, na the nature of law is to maintain justice. This is so much the case in the minds of the people. Law and justice are one and the same thing. There is a strong disposition to believe that anything lawful is also legitimate. This belief is so widespread that many have erroneously held that things are just because the law makes them so. Thus, in order to make plunder appear just and sacred to many consciences, it is only necessary for the law to decree and sanction it. To decree and sanction it. Slavery, restrictions, and monopoly find defenders not only among those who profit from them, but also among those who suffer from them. You think these guys are fortune tellers? <laughs> well, no, it's fascinating. But I think the human condition, you know, you know, from biblical times through modern times, the technology changes, um, but but human nature really doesn't. So this is why when people say the Constitution's old, uh, well, yeah, the technology. I mean, when they talked about a free press, they talk about a manual press where you you know you rolled ink onto typeset and you used a wheel to press paper down on top of it. But the computer, the internet, is is still a free press every bit as much as the quill pen. So the technology changes, but the but the right doesn't. And so if you maintain your rights, does he talk about rights at all? Because the, this, this is the way that we are protected from the bad laws and that we can create the good laws based yes. on rights. Okay. Well, you know, you know, this, this, this subject is something that, that um, Camus also addressed, another okay. French guy. And it's an interesting topic because whenever you have governments or leaders talking about the law and talking about the greater good. Now, of course, the greater good sounds like something <laughs> that everybody wants, right? That <laughs> right there is the root of evil. And that's what this plunder thing is talking about in essence. Okay. Yeah. The greater good. And, and Camus had a great uh, succinct summary of that. I'll read you the couple sentences. He says, okay. this is Camus from his essay, the human crisis in 1947. He said, the welfare of humanity is always the alibi of tyrants. They invoke it to justify the most monstrous crimes. You know, think, think, um, Oh, COVID, uh, COVID, vaccine, huh? the mandates, right. I mean, right. you know, masks, right. lockdowns. I mean, this is they right say, out of, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah. They, they say that they are acting for the good of the people, mm -hmm. but in reality, they're only acting for their own self-interest. They want to stay in power and they will do whatever it takes to do so. The people who serve tyrants often do so because they believe they're helping to make the world a better place. This is the useful idiot um, uh, okay. uh, scenario. They think that they're supporting a just cause, but in reality, they're only helping to pe perpetuate tyranny. They're helping to create a world where the strong rule over the weak and where the few benefit at the expense of the many. We must be wary of those who claim to be acting for the good of the people 
We must always question their motives. We must never allow ourselves to be used as an alibi for tyranny. So that's a very insightful, succinct statement. And it's also, I think, why I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything about the good of the people uh, in in our laws. In other words, what the what our laws say are that the power, the the power to govern is solely vested in the people. And the government well, uh, doesn't do things for the good of the people. What they they do you use general welfare? Oh general welfare clause? Yeah. Right. There's well, a general uh, welfare clause which has been misinterpreted by many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Constantly, yeah. yeah. The public interest is the other one. So the greater good of the public interest. We have our own definition around here. Uh, Brianna, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this, but I'm not sure. But uh, I worked on this when I worked with uh, Jen Clark in Australia when we wrote an entire Australian Bill of Individual Rights to counter the UN Declaration of, hum- of Human Rights, which are basically the road to slavery. And, and we came up with the idea that the public interest is the sum total of individual decisions made by the public without any government coercion or interference. So the public in- we determine the public interest by our individual decisions. That is the only public interest. No one can determine the public interest for you. So in actual fact, there is no public interest, just the result of individual decisions without government interference or coercion or extortion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as, as okay. my understanding of the general welfare clause, which is um, from Article 1, Section 8, is that it's a it's uh, the phraseology that's used there is purely a financial thing. It's talking mm. about it's the, the, the beginning of that uh, section starts. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts and excises to pay mm-hmm. the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. So it's a financial funding of the government phraseology, not a we're responsible for taking care of everybody. Yeah, that's one of the most uh, controversial parts of the Constitution, because in the preamble, it says provide for the general welfare. Now, general welfare, back from my readings of how they talked about it back then, meant that law should apply generally. So in other words, there's no special welfare. There's no special interest legislation, much like we have today, like, you know, where big farmers exempt from product liability that my local donut shop has. And so the idea is that all laws should be equal. And the 14th Amendment really, really clarified that when they talked about the equal protection of the laws. But the general welfare is basically that, that law shall be made to affect people generally. In other words, you don't have special privileges, special tax deductions, special anything for any particular group, special exemptions from law. That's what it means. Now, it's been perverted. When people see welfare, they think, oh, boy, that's money for me. No, it's not. Any more than a well-regulated militia means government-regulated when it really means, you know, the equivalent of an infantry soldier at the time called regulars, regular infantry. That's where that comes from. So once you learn the original words, now I don't want to interpret the Constitution, but you have to sometimes go to the original meanings of the words. Otherwise, you don't understand their context today. So that's how I understand welfare. To be uh, general welfare means laws yeah, have to like be applied the, generally. Brianna, go ahead. I was looking up, like, what arms, like, you know, bearing arms meant. Mm-hmm. And their definition is different than today because today, you know, people will think of arms as guns or firearms. Mm-hmm. Where then it was any, I, I don't know if I'm doing this, like, exactly word for word, but this was generally it. It was saying that it's any weapon for 
um, offense or defense. Yeah. Well, the, the, the classic is anything that you can hold in your arms, anything that a single person can hold. So a crew-served weapon like, a, um, I don't know, an artillery piece might not be considered arms uh, in the sense of the Second Amendment. But there are those I've also heard that, said, that talked about, you know, we had uh, frigates in the War of 1812 privately owned, basically battleships that were considered the, you know, part of arms. So the definition, it's not the arms. In fact, this gets us back to the, what we were talking about earlier. Um, it's not the arms. Uh, it's, it's the right that is protected. So you're talking about crime statistics way back when. So if, if 10 times more people were killed with guns by criminals, right, than is done today, would that affect your Second Amendment rights? Would it affect the right of a law-abiding person to keep and bear arms? And the answer is, Brianna? If, wait, so if there was more shootings... Yeah, let's just say 10 times more people okay. were killed with guns than are killed today. Would that affect the Second Amendment and your right as an individual to keep and bear arms? No. Exactly. Jonathan? No, I mean, the Constitution is crystal clear on that. It says it's, it mm-hmm. shall not be abridged. Uh, right. it's, it's, an ab, it's an absolute individual right. And if you look at the history of it, it was precisely mm-hmm. um, meant to protect you against the government. <laughs> exactly. So this is what I want to see. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get Ellen Dershowitz on the show. <laughs> this is one of my, my dreams, right? And this is exactly the kind of thing I want to bring up with them, that a right is really a firewall around government where they cannot go. They cannot cross. This is, this is the Berlin Wall of government. You can't do it. But the, but the use of firearms is completely independent. The right, your right to, to be free from government infringement in any way on your right to keep and bear arms, even if it's a battleship. Or even, we, I hear the argument, well, does that mean you can own a nuclear bomb? Um, technically, yes. But can you use it legally? No. So what's the point? So you separate use. Criminals use guns. Use of guns is separate from the right. So if you, we, as individuals, we are free from the government touching, supposedly, our right to own and carry guns. However, when you use guns, that's statutory law. And, then, and there are legal and illegal uses. This is why, right, since rights are absolute, otherwise they're not rights, they're government privileges. Since rights are absolute, you cannot make the use of something a right because you can use things legally or illegally. Carjacking is illegal. Self-defense is legal. So the statutory law is below the constitutional law. So the right is supreme over the statutory law, but you're still affected by the statutory law. So criminals come under statutory law. Citizens come under the right. Make sense? That's how I, do, that's how I differentiate. Yeah. Brianna? That sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Been working on that for a while. <laughs> okay. So if you look at that in terms, you know, and I make the argument too, that if, if uh, gun control were, were applied to, to banks, you know, you know, in other words, in order to stop bank robberies, you uh, arrest the depositors. That's the equivalent of gun control. You can use that one too. Uh, we got about five minutes left before Josie gets here. Uh, do you want to get into the other one, philanthropy? Brianna, I guess it's the last of our Bastiat. Or you want to save that for after Patriot Academy? Um, I'll save that one for later. long, so I don't exactly know where the distinction is. Well, let's let's but, hold off on um, that, and I'm gonna miss you next week. I, I I really like your report, so I'm definitely gonna miss you next week. So uh, it'd be good to get uh, get you caught up when you come back. So uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Just to let you know. Yeah. There's. Uh, 
one part that I can read that I think you'll really like. It's the fate of nonconformists. Sure. <laughs> um, it's probably my it's probably my life. <laughs> Go ahead. What did you say? It says if you suggest a doubt as to the morality of these institutions, it is boldly said that you are a dangerous innovator, a utopian, a theorist, a subversive. You would shatter the foundation upon which the society rests. If you lecture upon morality or upon political science, there will be found official organizations petitioning the government in this vein of thought, that science no longer be taught exclusively from the point of view of free trade, of liberty, of property, and of justice, as has been the case until now. But also, in the future, science is to be especially taught from the viewpoint of the facts and laws that regulate French industry, facts and laws which are contrary to liberty, property, and to justice, that in government-endowed teaching positions, the professor rigorously refrain from endangering in the slightest degree the respect due to the laws now in force. Thus, if there were... If there exists a law which sanctions slavery or monopoly, oppression or robbery in any form whatever, it must not even be mentioned. For how can it be mentioned without damaging the respect which it inspires? Still further, morality and political economy must be taught from the point of view of this law, from the supposition that it must be a just law merely because it is a law. Another effect of this tragic perversion of the law is that it gives an exaggerated importance on political passions and conflicts and to politics in general. I could prove this assertion in a thousand ways, but by way of illustration, I shall limit myself to subject that that has lately occupied the minds of everyone, universal suffrage, and then it talks about universal suffrage in the next section. One of the things that I guess stood out to me of this is um, where it says, thus, if there exists a law which sanctions slavery, monopoly, oppression, robbery, any form whatsoever, it must not even be mentioned. For how can it be mentioned without damaging respect of what it inspires? And this reminds me exactly of George Orwell. You know, they were changing the language to, like, newspeak or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. you couldn't even talk about anything that existed in the past. You didn't even know it existed. Was it Mao that said history begins today? I mean that's that's whole that's if you don't yeah. have a basis if you don't yeah. know where you came from you have no idea where you're going and this is why the study of history is so critical they don't even call it history anymore it's social studies we also call it socialist studies but this is why the removal of statues you know people think it's a great idea so well guess who else did that Hitler Mao Stalin they all did this because history starts with them so if you have no basis and that's that's Orwell and that's every futuristic novel uh, John is probably a lot better versed in this than I am. But the first thing they do is they erase the history and they start you over again with, with the beliefs that they want you to have. But what was, what was the most fascinating is that they put slavery and monopoly together as two of the greatest evils. Not that they both aren't. They are. But just that they, they equate slavery and monopoly as, as equal evils. That was interesting. Yeah. I think because they're one and the same. Okay. In two different ways, capacity, and because I think um, I think there's slavery within monopoly. Well, are you a slave under a monopoly, and are you a slave under slavery? If you're owned, 
What's the difference? All right, let's, let's hear yeah. philosophical time. What's the difference between being owned by a slave owner, a slave master, being owned by a corporation as in a company town, being owned by a government as here are the bugs be happy? What's the difference? A slave is a slave. Right? The only difference is the name of the owner. That's fascinating. That's absolutely right. Jonathan? Um, explain it to me again, what, what the premise is here. Well, Brandon, you want to do it? So it was from a passage where it was equalizing like slavery to monopoly. And you're talking about how they can be really similar, where you can be a slave to a slave owner or a company store or to the government in different capacities, where all of it is slavery because somebody owns you what you do and what you have. But the difference is who owns you and who controls you. I see. But, again, that seems to me to be a complete failure of logic because in slavery um, – you are a non-entity. You don't have legal rights because you you are like you know, you're like a dog. Okay, a dog. You can own a dog, but the dog doesn't have dog rights. There are no dog rights. Um, whereas but, if you work for a if you work for a company, you you're not a slave. You're getting paid to do a job. That's not slavery. They don't own you. You still are an entity. You still have rights. So I mean, it's it's again a sort of a fake use of words. I love dogs, by the way. <laughs> well, now think about the company town. Think about the company town. This is, this is the example that I was putting forward. In a company yeah. town, they, pay, they don't pay you money. Companies in general. Yeah, some, I guess we're going to stay on Brianna's line now. It's kind of weird. But a company town does literally own people. In fact, you actually are worse off than a slave because they pay you in script. They don't pay you in money. And the script is redeemable at the company store and for the rental of your property. And that what they do is they set the rates lower so that you cannot afford to live. So then they offer you credit. So the longer Wait, what you're is in it? a what company is a company town. T- what is a company town? What are you talking about? Company town. These were, these were back in the late 18, early 1900s. They were horrible places. And what happened was they would employ people, usually in mines. And because they were remote, they'd set up company housing, and they'd have a company store. Have you I heard see. Uh, the Tennessee Ernie Ford? Remember, I get, you, know, you work uh, 16 hours, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt? Yeah. This is all Go before ahead. a unionization, right? But still, well, even in cars, that case... This, this is what caused unionization. It's actually a big Correct. part of it. But a slave, right. now think about a slave. Okay, so and this is controversial, obviously. But a slave has no debt to the owner. The slave does not owe the owner anything. But if you work in a company town, you do. You actually have debt. Slaves don't have debt. Also, a slave owner, you know, if they're going to get a return on their investment, and I hate to put the human beings in terms of that, but you don't want to have sick slaves, unproductive slaves, because it's going to ruin your investment. So it's in your interest to maintain those slaves in a healthy fashion. However, if you have a company town, if an employee gets sick, fire them. You can just bring on another employee. It doesn't cost you anything. You're still paying the same amount. So there is incentive in a company town to make employees be replaceable far more than slaves, which require an investment. Again, I hate to put human beings in these terms, but who is worse off? The company town where you end up working yourself into debt or the slave who never owns the slave master? But it's still a prisoner well, I mean, until they right. escape. Those, those are financial arguments. I would still argue that the, the slave is much worse off because he's not in control of his own rights and he doesn't have uh, his own life and he doesn't have rights, you know. Mm-hmm. So, okay. No, I'm just, it's just, but, yeah, yeah. But you, 
Yeah, more that, of this is economic judgment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the economics of it are a whole other question. I mean, when, when slavery ended, uh, in fact, what largely happened to a large number of the former slaves is they went to work for the people they were already enslaved by, right? Mm. That's where sharecroppers came from. Yeah. So it, and it's interesting. It, uh, it, no, you talk about uh, unions. That. Go ahead, Brianna. Go ahead, Brianna. In a lot of circumstances within, like, like we're thinking of, um, a lot of it was, you know, they would say, oh, you servitude to pay off this debt or whatever. That's kind of one of the things that they had used is you're going to work for me to pay off this debt. And so, like, on general um, – and, like, I think it was different also with, like, indentured servitude. Some people equate indentured servitude in order to slavery. But, um, actually, indentured servitude was actually a process. That was more directly of getting out of debt, and they were let out a period of time. Well, that was a contract. But, they had, they had um, a contract once they'd served a certain amount yeah. of time. I've got Josie here, so like I want to get you basically. to yeah. I want to get you to, to sum up any any uh, thoughts you have. And uh, again, good luck at Patriot Academy. And uh, I'll be talking to you, and probably talking to them when you get back. And of course, you're welcome. Yeah, have fun too. there. It sounds like a great time. Yeah, I might come back and share some of the interesting bills or things that we learned back. But well, maybe we can turn them into to bills that we can actually take to different levels of government because you guys don't. You know, once you have the bills, it's more of an academic exercise. You don't actually file them or, or you know, take them directly to representatives, or do you? I'm not clear on that point. Um, on a general level, no. There may be some exceptions of people who might send it through, but none that I know of. See, that's the jump I want to make is to, is to take especially graduates of Patriot Academy and turn you all into lobbyists for Action Radio. <laughs> you know, and, and like I said, the turning point, the college students, too. So uh, we've, we've got a potential force of thousands of people across the country uh, lobbying citizen legislation at all levels of government. That's, that's where my vision is going with this. Anyway, let's get you signed up. Uh, and I want to wish you a wonderful time. I want to hear all about it when you get back, and uh, I'll figure something else to do during your hour next Tuesday. Okay, I won't be um, here for this next hour with Josie, but whenever she hops on, see if she knows anything about the asylum barge in Britain. Let's find out right now. Josie, Good morning. did you hear the question? Good morning, Brianna. How are you? What Hi, Josie. The question? Hi, how are you? Do you Listening know... To you guys. Do you know anything about the asylum barge in Britain? They basically have this giant barge in the ocean where they're going to start putting all their asylum seekers. Mm, no, I don't. That's a I've new never one. heard of that. <laughs> wow. Are they going to sink it then or something? Well, or what? is this like a plot? No, I'm just teasing you. I don't know. i got to figure out more about That's... it. <laughs> okay, let's pick it up when you get yeah, back. Yeah, let me know. But uh, you guys were talking about slave owners and all that stuff, and I know a lot of people don't talk about Kamala Harris' family, that they own over 200 slaves in Jamaica, but nobody talks about it, you know? So Wow, that's interesting. Crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're we amazing. Research. I didn't either. Marco, uh, Marco's listening in the Netherlands. He's he is on live chat. He's looking up the yeah. big ship that uh, that you're talking about, so we should have an answer for that. We have amazing uh-huh. resources here at Action Radio. I just ask a question. Oh, here's a website. <laughs> so if you go to live chat, also, uh, it's right there, euronews.com slash video. Jonathan, you can pick it up, right, because you're on live chat uh, at the same time. So there it is. We've got a video. Uh, I'm going to copy that also, for, for a later look. 
Uh-huh. Also, uh, uh, Greg, the Jewish people, uh, they turned themselves for food at the end. That's how they became slaves. Uh, and they were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Uh, so, and they never complain about it. I never hear a Jewish person complaining about slavery, that they need reparation or anything like that. They're super sharp people. They're hard workers. They help each other. Uh, most of my friends are Jewish people, very generous to their friends and family, but sometimes to other people, not as much. But they okay. care about their own, and it's mm. amazing. Yeah, just to let you know, we have Jonathan still on the line too, so he'll be joining us. For, I hope for the for the rest of the show. Okay. So, uh, yeah, any opinions, Jonathan? Um, I was uh, listening to a talk by a guy the other day about the Barbary Coast slaves, which okay. were, which were I guess white slaves, yeah, Morocco, on the Barbary Coast, and mm-hmm. supposedly mm-hmm. the number of those slaves was huge, much larger, for example, than the number of slaves in the United States, according to the speaker I was listening to, and. And he pointed out, he said, who's going to who's going to ask for reparations for those slaves? You know, hey, listen, I, I'm Greek, man. I want reparations from Sparta. I mean, my family. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we, we, I, got, I got a long standing claim here. So all you people like that film with, uh, you know, the 300 Spartans. OK, so those, you know, they, they you know, probably took my property and affected my rights. So yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm still suffering PTSD you know, post-traumatic Spartan defiance or something like that. There, there you go. Well, you know, and when oh, people talk fine. about, about peop- oppressed people and the oppressors and the oppressed, the CRT mm-hmm. stuff, and I always say if someone wants to start one of those conversations, I say, look, if we want to talk about this, then I win because I'm Jewish and we've been oppressed for, I don't know, 6,000 years or so, you know. So... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's silly yeah, argument, Jewish reparations yeah. would be interesting. Um, I just got a text from Brianna. I got to send her something a little bit. I uh, hope she's still listening, but uh, um, she's left. I think she got thinks she got kicked off. I didn't do anything here to kick her off the air. But uh, if you go to live chat again, we've got Tim Costing. Well, let me play um, Josie's theme. And Josie, you can introduce yourself. Jonathan's a friend of mine from high school. One of the smartest people on the planet oh. today. So uh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> let me let me play your uh, let me play your theme, and then we'll get to your report. All right. She started off as a poor child in Nicaragua, living under communism. And now she is a prosperous small businesswoman with a great family, living the dream as an American citizen. Josie Cossey knows all about both worlds, communism and freedom. She knows where your dreams can come alive and where they can die very quickly. And so her report is as much from experience as knowledge, and her passion and crusade are very real. With connections all over Central and South America, Josie brings you the world south of the U.S. border from personal experience, living, not just reporting, what's happening. And now, the Latina Report with Josie Coffey. Yeah, I just checked my email real quick and I got uh, Jonathan's email. Should I call now or is it, you know, 10 Eastern? Well, obviously you're here, so stick around. <laughs> and I've, I've copied the Zoom link. But like Good I said, we're so, we're, we're so uh, spontaneous here. Uh, we never know what's happening. So, yeah, so Josie's got fascinating history. Josie's my, my longest friend uh, on Action Radio. She goes back to my WEBY days when I first got here from uh, San yeah. Francisco. And so this has been uh, a whole lot of fun. We don't always agree. We, but we, we pretty much end up in a really big argument, you know, at least okay. once per show, we don't which, is, which is actually fascinating. And that's, that's, a, that's the, I'm really proud of the fact that, uh, 
you know, we can disagree here and it's, it's okay. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the information. It's not the personality. It's not the people. So hey, that's, that, what, uh, that's what, good morning, everybody. Sobre ultra. Sobre ultra. Uh, buenos días, chica. Um, <laughs> buenos días. But that's the good thing about America, that you can agree or disagree with people, and that should be like that, you know. And uh, uh-huh. nowadays you cannot do that. It's their way or their highway. And enough of that, you know. We can but, disagree uh, here. Who's this gentleman, yeah. your best friend, you say, from well, high school? Why don't you guys talk? Jonathan, well, you know, I, I, oh. I remember, you know, Greg, I didn't realize you were from Canada. We've known each other since I'd say we were like sophomores in high school. Yeah, and I just 14, remember. 15, right, somewhere in there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Greg, uh-huh. Greg was the strange guy with the uh, sousaphone wrapped around him in the band mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. that was al- always smiling. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that hasn't changed. Oh. That yeah, hasn't. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still a nonconformist. But uh, yeah, so I got to so I got to Washington live, after Jonathan? Australia. Okay, I'm sorry. So where what do you it? live, Jonathan? I live in in Lexington, Mass, the birthplace of American liberty, where we where the whole oh. uh, Revolutionary yeah. War started. Beautiful. Except you lost yeah. your way. Yeah. <laughs> 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 lost his way. Yeah. How did you find each other through Facebook? No, no, just we met in high school. We went to Lexington High School. Yeah, but we haven't talked to oh, so like been friend all these 40 time. years. But okay. we, we lost touch for like 30 oh. or 40 years. I mean, we just got That's back in right. touch recently. That's what this I'm saying. How did you find I him? I forgot. Jonathan, how did, what got us back, you know, talking? I think, I think the first, the, you know, it was through like Facebook or something because I think you okay. wrote to me about um, – about a, a, oh, a the jazz clarinet player, right? Yeah, yeah. Dorothy, what's her name? No, Dor- right? Her? Yeah, Dorothy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she. It turns out, yeah, and I know her very well because I'm a clarinetist, and and you wrote to me about her, and then we just started, you know, going back and forth on Facebook every now and then. Yeah, so that's the beauty yeah, of Facebook. You know, as much as social media has its problems, and it does, I'm censored unbelievably. Um, in fact, like I say, we just got hacked twice in the last week. I got a, I got my website, Write Your Laws, going again. So oh, I really? Some, you know, good hosting people. Oh, yeah, wow. so we're, we're back in business. Well, we have a reporter who's interested in our, uh, um, in our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. So, Jonathan, I'll, I'll send it mm-hmm. to you. But if, if you look at Jonathan read Article 1, um, Clause 8. You know, the powers of government. Congress shall have the power to mm-hmm. lay and collect taxes, yada, yada, yada. But that sentence below where it says um, to borrow money on the credit of the United States, that's the one we want to delete. So we want to take away their ability to mm-hmm. borrow money on the credit of the United States. So, mm-hmm. And that's, that's our mm-hmm. very simple constitutional amendment. Now, there's more to it, um, but uh, a mm-hmm. little bit more. Basically, we canceled the Fed, canceled central banks, canceled the ability to print money, um, you know, to cover expenses and things like that. But essentially, it just removes the power of Congress to borrow money. And so I've got an economics reporter saying, whoa, that, that shakes so, Yeah, why don't you report on it and really shake things up? You know, so that's what we're trying for now. Anyway, Jesse, what's going on in the world? Yes. What, uh, what's, what's happening? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in California. Uh, okay. 40 million people in California. Uh, fairness is getting higher of people moving out and um, just listening to about eight different people sharing their story mm-hmm. and uh, and I've then a one. year later what they, <laughs> yeah I'm sure you do since you live in California oh, yeah. so these people they have, they have moved from uh, California to Texas some mm-hmm. of them are moving to South Florida area but Many of them are moving to Texas. They're saying that the uh, 
homes are a lot cheaper, like half mm-hmm. half the price than California is. The food, almost everything uh, that you can. No state income uh, tax. And, uh, Regulations are down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and about 15% more expensive to live in California, which is quite a bit. Uh, well, to be fair, there's a lot of money. Are, there's, the salaries are pretty good in California. Yeah. So depending on what you – especially if you're in high tech. So a lot of people can mm-hmm. afford – I don't think, quite honestly, it's, it's the salaries and the income is only part of it. And the state taxes is part of it because you always have deductions, credits, and things like that. The biggest problem, yeah. I believe, is the political oppression. You yeah. can't do anything Definitely. in California. You know, you can't start a business. You can't carry a gun. You can't, you know, especially if you're a white person in California, you're guilty of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, even though San Francisco mm-hmm. is pretty evenly divided, white, black, Asian, and Hispanic. You know, it's about 25% yeah. a little bit less each. And we all get along, you know, at the basic level. Mm-hmm. But, but the government, you know, is oppressing everybody. And you get the feeling in California that it, you know, and people say, well, you can't leave. You've got to fight. I'm not going to win this one. I want to go a place where I can win. Yeah. There's no point. The, the, the left has over, overwhelmingly stacked the deck. You've got millions of illegals in California, millions. So if you get yeah. hit by oh, somebody yeah. in a car accident, yeah. you know, chances are they're illegal. They don't have insurance. you got no recourse. Oh, no, they don't. The, the, these yeah. sanctuary cities, they're protected more so than you, an American citizen. That, I think, is the biggest reason people are leaving. The economics are a big part of it, but yeah. quite honestly, it's the political oppression. What do you think? Have you heard anything about so, that? So this, yeah. so this group of people, uh, mm-hmm. let me continue. This this group of people, um, they were saying different things, you know, and uh, they're saying the American dream is not happening in California at all. Uh, this particular guy, he has a food truck in California, and he's not making where? it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, the reason I ask yeah, I is because there, there's like three different Californias. There's Northern California, Redding, mm-hmm. for example, uh, which is very conservative, quite Republican. Uh, it's at the top of the Central Valley. Yeah. Bakersfield is the other end. So you have this all, whole agricultural middle that is kind of mixed. When you get to the Sierras, Placerville, South Lake Tahoe, places like that, it's very conservative, very conservative Republican. So if you take the eastern I think he, third, I think he's it's not far from uh, Disneyland, Greg. Okay, so that's Southern California. L.A. is Southern? totally liberal. Okay. In fact, there's enough mm-hmm. legislators in, the L- in L.A. County alone to counterbalance all mm-hmm. the conservatives in the rest of the state. And that's why conservatives lose. So it's not that California is a leftist state, but it's just enough mm-hmm. leftists where the conservatives have mm-hmm. no power. Uh, except in places like, mm-hmm. you know, at the, at the, at the city level uh, or the county level, like Redding, which is in Shasta County, which is mm-hmm. a beautiful place. And that's where they're trying to, uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, form the state of Jefferson. So the folks in Northern California and, Red, and Redding would be the capital of this new state, 51st state. So Northern California counties, Shasta, uh, some of the other ones up north, and Southern Oregon counties that don't want to be associated with Portland, another bastion of Marxism, mm-hmm. uh, are trying to form the state that's of Jefferson. Funny. And so that's where it's centered. So there are California, there are conservative Californians, but you're not going to find them in Sacramento, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, or or along the coast where all the good beachfront property is. Obviously, they're not worried about global warming. Yeah. <laughs> Throw that in. This, uh-huh. Yeah. This 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 guy, uh, he was very Democrat because he was talking him and his wife. Uh, now that they are in Texas, 
they change. They're they trying to be conservative. They're very active. They want to do something about it uh, because he was saying that the Republicans didn't do anything in California. He said they should have done so much more. And uh, they were desperate to move. His mom is still there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, Greg, a lot of my um, family in California, they're in L.A. and San Diego, and a lot of them, they cannot afford to get out. And they wish they they left. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, and so let me, uh, let me ask you a question then, because if you, you know, your family, uh, I don't know how many generations of, of Americans, but we're talking about longstanding American Hispanic families compared to all the illegal uh, folks that are coming from Mexico, uh-huh. Central America, things like that. So uh, this is probably a conflict that's not really talked about. We've talked about the fact that Republicans were idiots to think that uh, Americans yeah. of, of Hispanic descent wanted a bunch of illegal aliens from Mexico coming in here. Well, that's that's and they they didn't get it because they think because they're they're racist enough to lump, you know, all Hispanic folks together, whether American citizens or foreign foreign nationals. So what's going Mm -hmm. on in L.A.? Uh, Is there a conflict between like a Hispanic versus Hispanic conflict between illegal aliens, you know, from from, from Latin American countries and what's going on? Tell me. Yeah, because a lot of my cousins, they're not happy with what's happening with all the illegals uh, flooding the areas. Uh, I have, gosh, uh, lots of cousins there. My aunt, she was the closest with me. She passed about seven years, eight years ago, and I was there, and I was, I didn't recognize the state of California. I said, what the heck is this? But uh, my uh, some of my family members, they wish they can leave, but they don't have the money. And the thing is, if you rent a truck from over there, to move out, it is mm-hmm. so expensive that they cannot afford it. You can come uh, outside <laughs> California and rent a truck and bring it in, but that's the best way to do it. But for you to rent a truck in California or New York to get out, they make it so difficult that you well, cannot no, I, get out. I, uh, it's when it's I left very in, expensive. It, when I left in 2017, I think it was about somewhere between twelve and $1,500 to rent a U-Haul truck, depending on mm-hmm. where you're going, leaving California is about five or six hundred going to California from the same place. <laughs> so Florida to California, yeah. like fifteen hundred to leave is about five hundred, you know, to move in. Uh, that's because there was so oh, many because right they had to like, pay. Yeah, they had to keep paying to yeah. bring these trucks back empty, right? Because nobody wanted to move to California, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, to 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 serve exactly. all the people that wanted to leave California. That's why uh, it was so cheap yeah. to bring it there. You know, you could probably almost make money because I'll bring yeah. your trucks back for, yeah. you know, kick me uh, 500 bucks. You know, you still make 500 on the profit. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got to be working this somewhere. Jonathan, what's going on in New England? Yeah. Uh, do you have illegals you're right there gathering by your Home Depot and uh, Lowe's that uh, looking for construction jobs there in Massachusetts like we had, had in California? Yeah, all the um, all the. Uh, Guys who run companies, you know, like lawn service companies or, you know, fix-it companies, house repair, odd job mm-hmm. companies, they, uh, roofing companies, they know where to go to find people who are ready to do hourly work and they, you know, mm-hmm. hire them for the odd jobs on the basis. And I think it's fair to say that a significant it's a significant portion of those people are that they're hiring are undocumented illegal aliens. 
Yeah, you know, we don't see that documented illegal. around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's illegal. Yeah. yeah. So, so Josie, how much money is being sent back? So, if, uh, of, of of every hundred dollars an illegal alien earns, how much? Uh, do you have any idea of how much is being sent to other countries? Well, for example, I know this guy from Peru. He mm-hmm. does pretty good money at this restaurant, and you know, since he's illegal, he was working with an agency, and the agency is collecting from the restaurant. And he gets paid by the agency. So the, wait, wait, wait. This the is an agency. There's an agency hiring illegal aliens to take. Oh, see, of this course. is where asset forfeiture is. Jonathan, we have a bill on, on civil asset forfeiture for all illegal aliens. That yeah. not only, it goes way beyond E-Verify. That not only seizes everything the illegal alien has, but all the companies that hire them. So if GM were hiring illegal aliens on their assembly lines, we just seize GM. That would wake people up. Yeah. That but would. Right. For- I mean, now nowadays though. Don't the cor- aren't the corporations at least in most states? I don't know California. I thought they're subject to laws now that require them to get um, W four forms from all. Yeah, E-verify. E-verify, yeah E-verify. E-verify, right, right. Mm-hmm. But this is where I go turn to Josie. But <laughs> what's going on with that? Okay, so uh, I wanted to finish. So oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. This guy, this guy makes. I think he's making like fourteen, fifteen dollars an hour as an illegal. Mm-hmm. And now he's on his own. Now he's not working through this agency or this person managing uh, all these illegals. Um, so now he makes more money, and most of the money he's sending to Peru. And with the money that he's been sending, they open a little restaurant over there, and his daughter and son are running the restaurant, and he sends everything he 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 lives here with a bare minimum uh and a lot of times he doesn't even need and he's so skinny because he's sending all the money to peru and uh it's crazy it's crazy what's happening so he well, uh, to uh no this is fascinating because wait, we keep hearing the the myth that people are just coming here for a better life first of all that's not why you come here you, you know immigrants are for no, so americans have a better life for a better but life. what they're really doing mm-hmm. is coming here for a better life back in their home country that's Interesting. true yeah. yeah so so his daughter is running the show the little restaurant very nice uh mm-hmm. in lima peru in the skirts of lima somewhere so that's uh, an american supported that's an american supported mm-hmm. restaurant that's an american taxpayer created restaurant yeah. in peru yeah, exactly. interesting. Okay. But I wanted to go back to the gentleman in California uh, with sure. his wife and then another guy with a food truck. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he moved to Texas. He's doing well. But he was sharing that uh, he said he only went to Disneyland once a year because it's very expensive. And the last time he went, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, two years ago or so, he said he spent about $1,500 just in one visit alone. Everything was out of control, the prices, the food, the entrance. The, how can family afford it? And he was saying, there's a lot of people from Texas coming here, he goes, and they can stay for a whole week in a hotel, plus bring the whole family. How can they do this? But anyway, so he that's the reason uh, that he got motivated to move to uh, California. And some of his friends have moved because of the fires in California, uh, and they were just devastated once their house was destroyed, he was saying, and they wanted to be out of there. Um, so 
I think uh, my opinion is a lot of these fires are being caused by our government, so a lot of uh, Californians can get out, can move out. Uh, because once mm-hmm. you lose your house... Yeah, go yeah, ahead. I have seen videos I'll, I'll tell you what, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, so go ahead. Uh, tell me, mm-hmm. what, uh, once you lose your house, then what? Who buys so it? So once you lose your house, you're depressed. Like like when the Hurricane Andrew destroyed my home, all I did was crying, crying, crying. It was uh, it, it was overwhelming to I'm see sure. all my stuff in ruin. And uh, yeah. I can imagine these people and fire that you all you see in is ashes. At least I got a lot of stuff back and, and dried off and stuff like that. But these people, it's like becomes ashes, their stuff. And it's been going on for a while now. But uh, I think it's all well organized, all the fires and all the stuff, so people can well, get out. And they take over their property. And one more thing, and I'm done yeah, no, with it's California. Okay. Hey, you got time. No, I, said, I got questions on it, but it's just I try and ask them while we're talking yeah. about them. We can always go back. Otherwise, I forget, you know, unless go I write ahead, it all down. Go yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's okay. So right, and the well, other thing, he said he can handle uh, the homeless uh, in the yeah. streets and poop and just, he said he, he he was just so sick of it. And he don't have to see that in right now in Texas. But now he says I have to be dealing with a lot of the illegals. <laughs> well, the whole country has to deal with the illegals. See, that's, that's the interesting thing. That's why I asked Jonathan, even in Lexington, Massachusetts, birthplace of American liberty, Captain John Parker, don't fire unless fired upon. Mm-hmm. But if they mean to start a war, let it begin here. I mean, we all know the quote. We all grew up there. You know, we rang the belfry uh, at four in the morning, and Gerald Ford came when we were uh, juniors in high school. And, uh, and you got it was great. Mm-hmm. You got to see ahead. the whites of their eyes, remember? Exactly. No, that's the William Prescott. <laughs> that was Bunker Hill, which is actually Breed's Hill. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I, still we had a friend. Who, still boss. Yeah, exactly. Still boss. Yeah, you're right here. We had a friend, uh, Josie, uh, Richard John, who used to be, who was the best tour guide on the Lexington Battle Green. And you listen to one of his, his speeches one time. And, uh, but he looked old <laughs> when he was in high school. He looked like he was like 80. You know, as high he looks student. exactly. Char, we call him Chart, and he looks exactly the same now as he did when we were in ju- junior high. Yeah, even. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so he, hey, Chart, you haven't aged at all. Of course not, because he started off old. <laughs> anyway, um, California. Uh, when I moved out there in 1984, you know, on my very first weekend, I'm walking around Golden Gate Park, uh, and I, I was stumble on Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead playing a concert with his band. It was the land of opportunity. The hippies were older. They were in their 40s, but they were still alive. They were still in the Haight-Ashbury. The spirit of San Francisco was still there. It was clean. It was fun. It was, it was unbelievable. You had, the, you had the Haight-Ashbury. You had Golden Gate Park next to that, and you had the ocean. On the other side, you had uh, the Castro, which is the gay district, and then you had uh, um, some other you – know, uh, south, you had the Hispanic district, the Mission, you know, and then you had uh, Chinatown, and you had North Beach, which was Italian, much like the North End in Boston, you know, and Chinatown's near it. Uh, but we had these wonderful neighborhoods, and it was an amazingly fun place to be in. California, again, the land of opportunity. Go west, you know, Horatio Alger, I think I said it, or Horace Greeley. One of the, I get those two confused. Anyway, um, but it was the place to go, and then it just collapsed as the left moved in. California doubled its population but kept all the same infrastructure, kept the same highways, the same amount of reservoirs, same amount of power plants, except they decommissioned their nukes. So you, so you have less power being generated. You have the same water for half the population, and you have the same roads for half the population. 
and yet they're cramming more people in. Mm-hmm. And now you've got all the illegals moving in because there's sanctuaries all over the place, you know, the whole state uh, plus several cities. It's even worse. So that's why the quality of life is so low. You've got extremely high-income earning high-tech people because Silicon Valley is only about, you know, 30, 40 minutes south, about 25, 30 miles away. You're talking multiple billionaires in the San Francisco Bay Area, contrasted with people pooping in the streets who are homeless and drug addicted and everything else. It's, 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 uh, the contrast, there's no middle. There's no middle class anymore. That's the biggest problem. You've got Nancy Pelosi in Pacific Heights, and you've got uh, people in the Tenderloin. You know, you, got, you just walk down the street, there's needles everywhere. So I don't walk Let down the street. Let me ask you, since you're from, uh, since you uh-huh. lived in California, right. are all these homeless people, people that have lost their homes, their jobs and stuff, or they're people that come in from other areas just to be homeless there, do you know? Yeah, a lot of people come from other areas because it's warm. I mean, if you had the choice between being homeless oh. in San Francisco, you know, where it's 55 in the winter, or 65 in the summer, comfortable most of the year, or Minnesota, where it's like 30 below zero at night, where would you be homeless? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to California. Yeah. If they're homeless, yeah. a lot of people do come there. Uh, in fact, the Supreme Court even said you have a right to travel because, which is true, which I'm going to use that as a basis to challenge driver's licenses. But there was a court case because California passed a law. You cannot get on California welfare unless you've lived in the state productively for six months. This is back when we had real huh. Republican governors, not, not uh, Schwarzenegger. A real uh, governor. We had real governors. We had Pete Wilson, who was the former police chief of L.A. We had uh, Duke Majin, probably the most boring man on the planet, but he was a really good administrator, and he was an excellent governor. Mm-hmm. You know, he built the freeways, built the reservoirs, keep, kept things going, and uh, maintained the state. You know, so we didn't have a huge mm. homeless problem um, because things were working. But I think it was under him that they had this law that, in other words, you couldn't travel to California. You couldn't, sign, you couldn't go to California just to sign up for the welfare, which was very large. Uh, that's why it's mm-hmm. such a high tax rate. And then the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that because people have a right to travel. You can't block people from getting welfare when they get to California. They have to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that was just hard. We all hated that decision. Uh, and then it just, it just got worse. It's stratified. You know, the biggest thing is you lose your middle class. Well, let's take Lexington. When I got to Lexington, yeah. uh, Massachusetts, you know, back in 1972, uh, there were middle class. There were lower middle class. You know, you had uh, uh, the center of town. You had, you know, your friendly neighborhood drugstore. You had a couple of banks. You know, you had some variety places, you had some interesting stores. Now I think it's what all high-end stuff. Uh, the cost of living yeah. in Washington has probably skyrocketed, right? What's going on there now, Jonathan, compared to uh, when we were kids? In terms of um, uh, income, pricing and wealth, stuff? cost of living, income, stores downtown, everything. It's, you know, it's totally it all it's yeah, it's all gone up, 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 um, and especially over the last few years, the inflation has been you know ridiculous. And uh, real estate here is essentially totally purchased. That wasn't true when I when I moved back to Lexington after living in another town for several years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't true. There were lots of plots of land you could still buy that were undeveloped, et cetera. Now I think virtually every piece of land that exists in Lexington mm. is built on already. And so you can buy a house wow. and knock it down, but, but that's about it. Uh, yeah. Lexington's wow. about 15 miles from Boston. Cause you know, back when they marched, it was like an all night March to, to go from uh, uh, Boston to Lexington. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, I was curious. That's good. Yeah, to, yeah, well, and, but Boston that's has good a homeless problem bad. too. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's bad because California people cannot uh, afford to buy a piece of land. Yeah. yeah and there's so much there's, land in California. Been doing all this on purpose. Well, mm-hmm. but there's but if you look at California, I mean, I drove all over California. Uh, I loved it. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much land. I mean, the Central Valley is all farmland. The biggest problem is, though, that they, they confiscate the water and send it all out of the Gulf for the snail darter, for a fish that's a non-native fish that's eaten by other non-native fish, you know, in the, uh, from the Delta. So they lose all their – they give away all their stuff. They give away their water. We get like a 30-foot snowpack in the winter in the Sierra Nevadas. Absolutely gorgeous. But that's a lot of water for the San Joaquin and San uh, Sacramento rivers. <clears throat> but they're letting it all flow out, whereas they used to give it to the farmers. So California is being stupid. It's not that they don't have the resources. It's still one of the most beautiful places on the planet and has some amazing stuff. And yet they're turning into the stratified society of the ultra-rich and the ultra-poor and the ultra-illegal. That's what's going on in California. Do you have relatives well, in San Diego um, by chance, Jesse? Because San Diego is like right on the border. San Diego was beautiful when I visit, but... It was a lot better in 1979 when I was in California. It was like paradise. Yeah. It was beautiful. I visited Long Beach, Costa Mesa, yep. mm-hmm. and a lot of areas there. It was so beautiful. Nothing like, nothing like what you see right now. Well, small towns know. still are. Small but, towns uh, when I left were still nice, you know, in uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. But the cities totally destroyed. So, any news of El Salvador? Anything else uh, going on uh, south of the border? Or are people still no, packing up in caravans and I, dropping in? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I saw was uh, the cartels have built uh, a long bridge made out of wood to mm-hmm. just cross illegal, you know. And uh, and Mallorca knows about it, but nobody does anything about it. Well, this is by design. Uh, Texas well, what, is are the, what are these countries saying? Because uh, you're picking up the news. Is there any news? Is it like a population drain? Uh, are they happy? Are they getting rid of all their criminals? What's going on in some of these countries? What are, what are they saying about uh, all the people uh, that are coming here? Well, a lot of the criminals came through. Uh, a lot of them are here. Right. Uh, but a lot of the MS-13, they're after them. Uh, I don't know. I I almost have a feeling that Trump is in it with president from El Salvador uh, to lock up all the uh, MS-13. That's how they're cleaning house, like he cleaned house with the uh, ISIS. I think uh, I think Trump has got his hands in this one to uh, to clean up the MS-13s, but um, there's a lot of a lot of people that they're happy that the criminals are locked up. They're either here in America or they're back in jail in uh, El Salvador, and uh, a lot of the other countries would like to have the same thing happening to Guatemala and Honduras, you know, because uh, some of them have moved over there. Well, the, South, uh, the, the president of El Salvador is wonderful. And uh, Jonathan, Josie and I were talking about years oh, yeah. ago, we were trying to get Trump down there to get some investors uh, because he believes in freedom. He's locking up uh, the murderers. You know, President El Salvador is doing amazing things. And I don't think a lot of Salvadorians are coming to the United States because their country is in pretty good shape. Whereas we're getting Hondurans, uh, Guatemalans. Uh, I don't know if Nicaraguan folks, I don't know if you can escape Nicaragua. Is it, are, are they closed? What's, what's, yeah, what's going on in Nicaragua? Nicaragua, yeah. Oh, you can't. Okay. The only the only country uh, <clears throat> the only country where you are like a prisoner is Cuba. 
not the other countries, communist country, you can escape easy. And we have listeners in Cuba, mm-hmm. which cracks me up. I, I guess they're doing it by internet clandestinely, but we have listeners in Cuba, Vietnam, you know, different communist countries listen to us, which is which is quite fascinating. Muslim countries, where it's not mm-hmm. really known for their freedom, That's uh, listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we just lost Egypt, which is unfortunate, because I really want to start working with Muslim countries with their laws. That's going to be fascinating. But I don't want to get anybody killed over it. You know, so that's I, I kind of have to. Same thing with China. We have listeners in China. Uh, but we have one call from China one time, and I'm sure that the Communist Party, you know, has something to say about that because it never happened again. But we have a Skype line. People can call in. It's interesting. Um, what? Johnson, whatever happened to the guy they used to call in from uh, Israel? Oh, he, well, we had a problem because I, I didn't quite have the Skype line going, and I think it got expensive. But uh, Barry, Barry Shaw is always welcome uh-huh. to call in. He, a lot of well, times Barry, he sends in yeah. articles. Barry sends a lot of articles to our international news group um, on, uh, of Action Radio. So his articles are there sometimes in the Action mm-hmm. Radio group. Jonathan, we've got over 20 groups now, uh, economic, legal, family law, education, art, um, you name it, <laughs> you know, special investigations. We've got uh, – um, tons of different groups here, and so I. Wow, I that's great. All, well, it is. It, it, you know, I differentiate all the reports. We even have a private vaccine group. My favorite group was disabled. Um, back when Dr. Solenka was alive, he was a friend of mine, and I got to know him through a mutual friend uh, up in Brooklyn. And so we had the Dr. Zelenko Action Radio Coronavirus Clearinghouse. We broke the, the story on ivermectin months before it ever made the news. And because we had Dr. Zelenko, people could actually talk directly to him through our Facebook group. It was an incredible service. And so I found out amazing things because I didn't know about ivermectin when it came out. So I asked uh, Dr. Zelenko, is this stuff for real? He's like, yeah, Craig, it's good stuff. Okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, so this, that was the kind of exchange that we had. And Facebook disabled the group. And how many people died, you know, because of the information that we, were, we weren't able to, to give to people anymore? But we've been on the forefront of this. And, of course, the forefront of being censored uh, ever since we started this whole thing back in February of 2020. But we actually had Dr. Zelenko in our own Facebook group responding to people directly. That's the kind of thing we're able to provide. Yeah, I mean, the power, yeah. the power of these uh, social media, the big tech to mm-hmm. censor the truth is just it's just out of control. And then it's an you know, indoctrination spread throughout our system of obvious and total and complete nonsense. I mean, the uh, if again, if you understand math and logic, you can immediately see through all the lies in in February of 2020. I remember mm-hmm. reading a a paper, a scientific paper that gave a complete analysis of the, um, the genome yeah. of the uh, COVID uh, virus, I remember of that. the SARS-CoV-2 virus, exp- and it showed mathematically that it was clear that the furin uh, cleavage site had been engineered. Yeah. And we knew it came from the lab. China mm-hmm. gave it to us from the lab. So we knew yeah. they had engineered it. And, and then we knew also at that time that Fauci had funded it directly with millions mm-hmm. of dollars. So yeah. EcoHealth Alliance, known. DARPA, right. so, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, director of the Wuhan lab. Yeah, we had, that. We had Bill Gertz on the show for the Washington Times, February 25th. Right. He told us the story of it. So he that was all podcast. known. That was yeah. all known. And then they then Fauci got together his group of people to publish the fake article about uh, proximal origin, which was total lies based mm-hmm. on nothing. And if you read it and if you understood it, you could immediately see that. But unfortunately, you know, I've said this many times, I think one of the big problems with our education system is that while we have 
we have almost universal literacy in terms of reading and writing. In other words, the, the, the number of people in the United States who can't read and write is quite small. Okay. But the number of who can't do math, basic fifth grade math in the United mm-hmm. States is huge. That's so we have, we have a mathematically ill and the world does too. It's not just us, but most mm-hmm. countries in the world have mathematically illiterate populations. And unfortunately we have, you know, governments and our politicians who don't care because they're all mathematically illiterate too. And it's to their, it's in their vested interest to keep everyone mathematically illiterate, because as long as you're mathematically illiterate, you can't quickly understand things like read that article and realize everyone's lying. Interesting. It took me five, it took me five minutes to read the article. I said, Oh, so everyone's lying. Boom. That was in February of 2020. This is not a difficult thing to understand, but it is if you can't do basic math. So what we really need to be doing is educating people in math, science, and logic. Mm-hmm. And then, then these, these evil, um, these evil people in the, in the left wing, you know, the Marxists and the communists would not be able to take over because everybody would see through it immediately. And the propaganda would be ineffective. Propaganda doesn't work on people that are able to think for themselves. It only works on people who can't, who depend on others to tell them stuff. So when, when somebody tells me something about a drug or a study or an analysis of a genome, I don't rely on what they've said. Mm -hmm. Why should I? I'm smarter than they are. So I, I might take it as a, as a first pointer and say, okay, they told me this. Let me go see if that's true. And then I'll go look it up and I'll investigate it and I'll read the original source material myself directly immediately and I can determine whether it's true. So, but until we can educate our population, it's going to be very, very hard. The Marxists have mastered, mastered the ability to lie about everything in ways. Oh, Josie knows very, about that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember Josie's opinion on that. Yeah. Josie? Yeah. Absolutely. They, they have lied for years about everything like you just said. Yep. And uh, it's all coming out, and uh, I keep telling Greg, uh, it's taking time, but uh, the truth will be released about a JFK, why did they murder him, who was involved, and the CIA, FBI are the headhunters of that. Yeah. Uh, Nixon, Bush. Yeah, yeah actually, if you read... There was a great interview with um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he details mm-hmm. all of the details of precisely who murdered um, his father and, who, and, and the JFK assassination, because his father was murdered by the same, you know, same group of people. And he has all of the actual data. Um, and there's also a great book by Roger Stone that goes through yeah. all of the actual data on that. But it, the, the CIA and the deep state have been covering it up for whatever it is. How, it was 1962, was it, when JFK was murdered? 63? 63. Something? 63? Yeah, November, yeah. I think it was November 63. Yeah, 63. Yeah. So what is that now? Mm-hmm. Seven, 70 years? No. Yeah, 60 years. 60 years ago. Wow. Long time. That's one of my earliest memories. Uh, will, I remember the Zabruder films, yeah. We will find Go ahead, out, Josie. Well, this is, this is our longest standing... 
Yeah, this is our longest standing uh, uh, argument between Josie and me. And it's, it and John, it'd be interesting to get your opinion on this. There's, there's two schools of thought right now. Um, and I, I call it the line. There's a line between which are real, genuine conspiracies, genuine threats, and things that I think are distractions. And so with the real ones, uh, see the Great Reset, um, COVID was a total whack job, psycho operation, the whole creation of the mass psychosis, everything else like that. Those are real threats. Um, the government, uh, the election in 2020 was stolen. There's no doubt in my mind. You know, and then we can even go Flight 800 was brought down by a missile, and we still don't know why Building 7 of the World Trade Center collapsed because an airplane didn't hit it. So those are real things we can look at. Now, what happens is some folks have gone into uh, what I, you know, a different area, and Josie talks about this, of uh, being a sovereign citizen, of uh, having the birth certificate you know, guarantee you a, a, a huge treasury account of our lawyers being registered in England uh, and other things. And one of the big ones is that uh, Donald Trump and, and the military uh, and the intelligence community are working together to basically come in and either take over the government now or, or at least when he comes in, you know, arresting untold thousands of people, which I think he could do anyway once he's back in office. But, uh, Josie, you know, you've got it coming either sooner than that. Why don't you explain that particular one? Because that's over my line of what I think of as genuine conspiracies versus something that, that doesn't make sense to me yet. Josie? Well, what we know, and I talk about it every week, it seems like it, uh, the military hired Donald yeah. Trump, uh, and they placed him in office, literally. Uh, Q is a team of people, uh, intelligent military, like six to 12 intelligent military, and JFK Jr. is running the show. He is Q and on. So this this whole group, it's they've been uh, 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 guiding Trump. They're protecting Trump. Trump, uh, they've been uh, trying to murder him over 30 times already. Uh, President Trump is allowing all this to happen. And I... I don't understand too well, but even Fox News, like I told Greg before on the air, that even Fox News slipped and they said the commander-in-chief is Donald Trump right now. So it's a little confusing. Uh, I believe the intelligent military is allowing President Trump, because he's our president right now, to allow for all this to happen, to open the eyes of the American people once and for all. So that's what we believe. And he will be coming back. He already chose JFK Jr. to be our vice president. Uh, he's supposed to be dead in the plane crash, but he's not. His magazine came out uh, November last year. I'm in his magazine. Uh, Gene Hall, which is President Trump's ex-photographer, he's in charge of the magazine, and they were not telling us who's way up high. Uh, because we were having breakfast, we were together with the whole team uh, in uh, Nashville and right now Miami also. Uh, but they don't they don't tell us. Uh, but there's a lot going to happen. The United States uh, will be taken over by the intelligent military, not the corrupt ones that they're forcing a lot of the innocent military to get the shots so they can die. And uh, Donald Trump did his world tour to see what country was going to be in with him. So the military will take over at the same time when Donald Trump takes over. This one, 
every country in with Donald Trump will take over at that time just for a short time to establish their country because there's no other way. Because right now, if you arrest a Supreme Court or a judge and all that, you're in the same boat because they're all corrupt. And the CIA, FBI, all corrupt. I'm not saying the whole team, but the majority and the head hunters are corrupt. So the the workers they have to obey. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's going to happen. Nothing can stop what's coming, and it will be happening. And uh, my husband's cousin, he's very involved with Mike Flynn. He travels with him everywhere, so we get little pieces here and there, uh, mainly in person because we cannot talk about it on the phone or email or text or anything like that. So when we meet in person, he tells us quite a bit. And uh, it will happen, guarantee you. That's it. <laughs> okay, Jonathan? So... Um... Basically, you're, you're, you're saying that the Trump is going to be the next president, right? I don't think we're going to have a 2024 election. <clears throat> he is the president right now, and that's what I'm confused about it. Uh, well, how, I agree that, I agree that it's, it's, it's clear that he was elected, um, and it's clear that the vote was uh, changed by um, computer using computer technology. So I, I agree mm-hmm. with that, but um, so I, there's no question in my mind that he won in an overwhelming landslide vote uh, in the last election. However, that said, um, he agreed, you know, to leave peacefully, and he allowed the communists that now run our government to take it over. So right now, the government is under their control. Unfortunately, you know, Biden is in the is the is the theoretical president right now. Um, even though it's it's a fa- he wasn't I, actually elected. Mm-hmm. So I believe I believe that they're allowing all these puppets to play their part right now. Yeah. But really and truly, Donald Trump is in control, and he's in full control of the military. He's in full control of Space Force. Donald Trump. He's he's watching everything. All the illegals coming in. But if he was he's in watching, control. If he was in control, why is he allowing the DOJ to sue him to bring him to court? You know, uh, there's a reason for that too. So, and Ron DeSantis, he's running because Donald Trump has put him to run. Uh, so is uh, Bobby Kennedy. They're all working as a team at really? the moment. Really, that's yeah. interesting. And the reason, and the reason uh, Hollywood or CNN, MSNBC, all these channels say, "Oh, I think." Ron DeSantis is worse than Donald Trump. No way. And they're saying that. The reason they're saying that, I don't know if you heard about it, they've been criticizing that the Ron DeSantis is the worst of the worst, is so people will not vote for Ron DeSantis in case they, they think they're going to arrest Donald Trump, and that way they don't have somebody running like Ron DeSantis with the intelligence. They have all this well organized. All oh. this is going on uh <laughs> i know it sounds crazy the whole thing uh but you will you guys will see at the end yeah well it's nice it's a good hope i i hope that trump is yes. in control um uh, but uh and i'm i'm Here. convinced he'll i'm convinced he'll be officially reelected because i think that now they've uncovered the crime involved in the whole election process to such a degree 
that I think mm-hmm. it'll be difficult for them to cheat at the same level that they did. You know, they basically colluded with, with China um, and infiltrated the entire organization of secretaries of state in the country. It was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an organization, I forget the name of it, but it's of all the secretaries of state in the U.S. Now, many of those secretaries of state are Republicans and many are Democrats, right? So, I don't know, it's probably about half and half, right? Or maybe it's actually even more Republicans than Democrats. And secretary of state up until recently was an, a very uneventful title because you don't have much power to do much of anything as secretary it's just your power is just related to things in your own state except secretaries of state are vested with the the power to control a lot of the aspects of elections and so prior to those elections that they rigged in 2016 and 2020 and 2022 actually they i'm sorry they didn't really start full force till 2020 um, so 2020 and 22, they first went and paid off and made deals with all the secretaries of state, which is why all of those Republican secretaries of state um, blocked all of the ability to expose the fraud to everybody. And the only way the fraud was exposed was through computer stuff and math stuff, which the public doesn't understand. And so, so despite the fact that we have 100% guaranteed proof that there was massive computer manipulation of those elections, most of the public doesn't know that to this day. And it's been obvious. It's been obvious for years now to anybody who could read the math. Um, so, but I, I, I believe, um, I believe, uh, the military, the intelligent working, uh, they've been planning this for 30 years to choose a person uh, so they can once and for all bring the cabal, and that's uh, uh, the Democrat, uh, corrupt, deep state, the swamp. We didn't understand when Donald Trump says we're going to drain the swamp. Yeah. We didn't understand that he means starting with the Ukraine because President Trump is involved with Putin. Uh, taking down all the bioweapon labs in the Ukraine. They already rescued over 50,000 children in the Ukraine, human trafficking. Underneath uh, Biden, they found a bioweapon lab where they were torturing little kids. Yeah. Uh, so the list goes on and on and on and on. And uh, we didn't understand when he meant the swamp. And the next one that he was talking about, it was Taiwan. President Trump, it's uh, just following orders. That's what he's doing at the moment. That's what we were told by a lot of friends. They, they're very involved. Hmm. Let me just step uh, in here for a second. We, I got uh, Pianchi on the line. I want to bring him in the conversation, too. And so, Pianchi, uh, my friend Jonathan Kohler from high school is here, and we're going to talk AI when we feel like it, <laughs> sometime in the next hour. But, Pianchi, um, I want to welcome you to the conversation as well. Hey, Pianchi. Yeah, as long as you to use your high school picture on your, on your ID. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> The, the, the problem, it seems like, is these secretary of states, especially in the case where you had these two sets of electors. Those electors should be come from the state legislature. Probably the Speaker of the House is the go-between, but the, that's the way the Constitution. The Constitution gives the state legislature the power over those electors. 
Yeah, we were trying to practice. practice that yesterday. It was quite interesting. Yeah. But, uh, Although the Supreme it, Court just made a ruling, uh, they made a ruling that waters down um, what the Constitution says recently in that regard. Did you know about that? Yeah, and you know what the state should do, like they've done in Alabama? Tell the Supreme Court that we ain't going to do it. The Supreme Court does not make laws. They just make opinions. Opinions That's right. between an argument between two or more people. It's not constitution. And that is another big problem. About 96% of the laws that we exist under as United States citizens were never voted on. There was either rules put in place by the AFT, IRS, OSHA, Supreme Court, and these courts. So they need to tell these courts to go to the pound sand. Yep, I agree. Yeah, basically, what the there was a six to three ruling, and what they said in that ruling was that yes, the state legislatures determine how elections are set up, but they said was that um, those decisions are reviewable by state courts. Um, well, yeah, but, state court, which is unconstitutional. State court, I, I agree with. Well, uh, yeah, unless yeah, the, if the states broke the law, that's the same. Well, the state court different. Go ahead. A state court can't make a law, but a state court it can determine whether a law is unconstitutional in a, in its own state. The state has a constitution, right? You're and, right. In the state is. And the state technically is an individual country with its own sovereignty, its own government, right. so on, so on, and so on. Right. So hmm. it said. So the Supreme Court decision, what they said was that the U.S. Constitution allows state courts to continue to interpret state constitutions to put limits on lawmaker powers. Um, but so, they already had that power. This is weird when the court gets in and says what well, already exists. But this is where right. it gets kind of crazy. Now, is this the case where the Supreme Court created two black districts in Alabama, or is this the one? The, no, the, there was another this one. Is, uh, this is the one. This is the one. Okay, so this it, is the one where they they said that. Well, and this is where they talk about the the mythical power of the states to regulate elections. Well, it's not mythical at all. The states do have the power through the state legislatures. Now, I don't remember anything the, in the Constitution. They, they refer ahead. to it as the independent state legislature theory, um, which says. Right. Which is correct, that, that the legislature has the sole authority to do this. However, any, any law that's made can be reviewed by the Supreme Court of that state and the Supreme Court of that, just like the Supreme Court of the U.S. Not but, necessarily, only they, where the federal government has jurisdiction. And so Pianchi's right when he says to the state's courts, state courts can review the action of the state government, of the, of the he legislature. He says the Supreme Court of the state. No, no, no. Uh, I said if a, state makes, if a state legislature makes a state law, then the state Supreme Court has the right to review that law to see whether or not it is constitutional according to that state's constitution. Just like right. the Supreme Court has the right to review any law, any, any, any law anywhere, basically, 
to see if it's if it's constitutional relative to the federal constitution. So well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just hold it up there for a second because we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. That the federal yeah. government only has certain jurisdiction. Okay. So in other words, if you look at Article Three of the Constitution, it talks about the Supreme Court having jurisdiction over cases in law and equity arising under the Constitution. It doesn't say under right. the state constitutions. The federal That's constitution. true, but now, there's, a, there's a supremacy clause. So if you have a federal right, but law the supremacy that contributes... Talks, yeah. yeah, but no, but the supremacy clause does not make the federal government supreme. It makes the federal government supreme only where they're authorized to act. If you read it, there's the authorization right. clause as part of the supremacy right. clause. And that's key. That's the part everybody forgets. Now, the 14th Amendment is the one that, that allowed the, the constitution to apply to state and local law as well. Equal protection, uh, the citizenship clause, you know, that you're a citizen of the United States and of the state in which you reside. And we're entitled mm-hmm. to privileges and immunities right. and equal protection of the laws. So that's how the, con- the 14th Amendment is what allowed the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to, well, the, the Bill of Rights specifically, to apply to state and local law. But it really didn't until then. But the idea that the Supreme Court, this whole concept of judicial review, that's Marbury versus, Marb- slow down, Greg, Marbury versus Madison, which is the single thing that is wrong with the Supreme Court, that they have assumed powers of judicial review that they simply don't have. They can review laws that are contrary to the Constitution that arise under their authority as, as part of the federal government and pass an opinion on that. Absolutely. But what they can't do is interpret the Constitution, make up a remedy, impose a remedy either in law, in regulation or policy upon anybody else. That's where they make their mistake. That's where they exceed their authority. And that's what we talk about. And you know what complicates things is you start to see a lot of immigrants come into the country that's Mm -hmm. coming from countries where you have corrupt courts that back up corrupt governance. And that's what they believe. Yeah, that'd be Josie especially. Josie, do you see that a lot? I mean, how how corrupt – we haven't really talked about this, but how corrupt are the courts in, say, Nicaragua? I mean, Cuba, I imagine they're directly enforcing whatever the government policy is. Josie? They're they're very corrupt. Okay. I mean, you're talking about Daniel Ortega and his family. They're a bunch of criminals. They take over your farms, your mines, your gold mines, uh, mm-hmm. sugarcane fields. They own everything. Yeah, that's uh, part of this uh, corruption communist. But the United States are mm-hmm. the one that funded the, the Sandinistas. So in one minute, the United States is uh, helping this country uh, protecting this country, and the next minute they're giving him weapon to get Somoza out, which he was like a conservative. So it's just insane what uh, the United States has been doing for years, and we did not know about it. Uh, but because of the United States, we have Sandinistas in Nicaragua. How is the head judge in those countries appointed by the president, Josie? I, I, I think your phone went something like that. What did you say? That in those countries, in Nicaragua, how is the top judge, the supreme judge, appointed? He's appointed by the president, isn't he? Oh, yeah. They're all corrupt, including some of the people. It's not a corruption. Can you imagine that here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's the same like here. It's the same like here now. We didn't see for years and years. I admire the United States. I love the United States. I didn't realize that it's so, so corrupt to the bone. I didn't know that. So to me, Watch it's Mrs. like, Smith goes it to breaks Washington. my heart and it's sad. It's been around. 
And the rest of the world says the same thing about the United States. We did not know this was so bad. Uh I mean, this is still the best country in the world. Here's the thing in the United States, and this is what people would say. Yes, we have terrible corruption. Nobody gets punished. The United States have corruption, but people get punished and go to jail. But now we're seeing this double standard, this double standard, and people are seeing what's going on. Now they're going to lose the credibility that they once had in the United States. That's true. Okay. But the good um, news is Donald Trump is going to restore all that, including all the including all the military that were kicked out. Donald Trump is going to put them in place with back pay. Uh, yeah, yeah, he said that already. Somebody at the, yeah, Donald and, uh, Trump said also, that himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, a lot of I knew that way before he said that on on TV, uh, and uh, also uh, a lot of families that lost loved ones. With remdesivir and with the shots, they're going to be rewarded too. So I keep telling a lot of people, uh, make sure you get your loved one's uh, uh, file from the hospital, a copy, so you can have it in hand. Uh, There's a lot going to happen. A lot of the big banks, President Trump uh, with his team, they've been shutting down the big banks because they're the ones uh, money laundering, the child trafficking, adrenochrome, organ trafficking, and that's the reason they've been shutting the banks. Uh, a lot of people don't know about it. Some, yeah, that's first I've heard of that. And yeah. uh, a lot of the money that they've taken away from these people, uh, they're going to give it to the people in America. So Ooh, Robin Hood. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the thing I disagree with, and I, I want to switch over to what uh, we're going to try and do this hour, which is hop on AI, and uh, we're going to but take I'm gonna on get Bard. Out. I'm going to continue listening to you guys. Okay. Well, that sounds good. All well, right. Thanks, Chelsea. God Appreciate bless your report. See you next week. Ciao. God bless you. Nice to meet you, Jonathan. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Josie. Bye-bye. Bye, Josie. Bye now. My my uh, argument with uh, Josie's position is that I don't want to replace one dictatorship with another, and I've talked to her about it. So I'm not like you know talking behind her back or anything. But uh, to me, it makes no sense, you know, to to try and have Trump and and the military intelligence community, you know, take over and fix things. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me. I mean, the, the biggest yeah, I don't believe media. I don't believe that's what's happening. I mean, I believe that. that but he Trump... can still arrest thousands of people once say say Mike Flynn becomes Attorney General. And, you know, which would be fa- fabulous, by the way, uh, and goes in and cleans up the deep state and arrests these people for all the crimes they're committing right now. I mean, they've yeah. got the evidence. They, they can collect oh, the evidence. You can certainly now. arrest people for committing crimes. I mean, it's obvious that Fauci yeah. was violating federal law, doing gain-of-function research, developing a bioweapon, oh. lying to the people, He's causing like a war people's deaths. He's a total yeah. war criminal of yeah. the worst yeah, yeah, type. Yeah. He should be arrested. And I yeah. think a lot of the... Uh, um, doctors and organizations that were promulgating, like what she mentioned, remdesivir was known to be killing people. Yeah, it's known. To kill people well, in the trial. Garland, yeah, Garland's yeah. not going to arrest anybody. No, That's but he's going to be arrested. He'll be re- arrested in the Trump administration if he's an impeach first. But he should be arrested for the see, crimes that he's committing. See, people yeah. don't know that the Congress mm-hmm. don't have no power to arrest nobody. They can bring people in and interview and find out. They can say no. I'm guilty. And it's going to happen with Garland in there. And yeah, the federal government don't have no... Yeah. But you can establish the evidence now, no and it goes to public perception, and they can and they can also defund him based on that, too. So they can say, okay, we can't arrest you, but we can defund you. 
and to have more public support if he looks like a total criminal in front of the, of the public on TV. Um, let's hold this up a little bit. And, of course, Jonathan, you're always welcome to call the show anytime. But, uh, you know, now that you met Pianchi and Josie, those are our two regular uh, folks here that call in, and we, we get some, some pretty interesting debates going on. And, again, we disagree, and, you know, as all conservatives, and it's perfectly cool. Um, Pianchi, stick around because I think you're going to find this really interesting. We're going to try and go to a Zoom call, and I've got my Zoom link. I'm going to get myself a new window on Chrome here and see if I can pop it in and uh, see if I can join. Oh, boy, I got a haircut yesterday. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's good. Oh, I got the wrong. Uh, I've got one of uh, of uh, Marco's Netherlands. <laughs> you know, uh, he sent many many things he's got on live chat, which I've copied. So I, I'm going to get my uh, my Zoom link here. Jonathan, are you set to go on, on the Zoom thing? Yeah, my Zoom is up if you want to join it and we can talk to Bard together and you can you can uh, read back whatever you want to read back and, you know, we can do yeah. that kind of thing. Well, I've got, a, I've got a Bard conversation already going, which I think you'll find interesting because I've run into basically the physics problem. Uh, and this is where I need your help. So, Pianchi, just to fill you and everybody else in on what happened, uh, and this is where I'm hoping my signal still works, doing a Zoom call as well as doing the show. I've never done this before. So we're, we're breaking new ground here. But if you, right. if you want me to see your Zoom conversation, then I have to join your Zoom. Oh, no. Well, there is no Zoom conversation. Action Radio has no Zoom. It's all audio. So you're already on it with the direct all right, connect. So, all right. So you can join my Zoom. I'm on with Bard. But okay. Okay. There you, all right, so let's, there you are. I'm so, putting you in my uh, Zoom. Okay. okay. So this is, this is breaking your ground here, folks. Uh, wait a minute. It's, it's still connecting. Uh, I'm just hoping I don't lose my show in the process. Oh, wait a minute. There we, yep. There we go. Yep. So now you can see my um, my uh, um, and I'll mute you in Zoom here. OK, so now you can see my Zoom screen, right? Yeah, I've got an echo, which is driving me crazy. <laughs> You'll have to turn off the mute me in your Zoom conversation, because otherwise you'll hear me from both places. OK, so I think I think you just did that. Try again. Are you, I you muted said, you. OK, you, so where? You, how do I mute you? Where? Where? Wait here. Let me see. Oh, How's you that watch, now? Hang on. Is that better? I muted myself yeah. on the Zoom. Okay, good. That's good. That's all right. Now I got to make the screen smaller because I got to be able to see my my blog talk screen. Yep. So you can. So how do I do that? Make, just make the window oh. smaller. Grab the corner of the window. So, view. I guess standard. No, that's that's not the one I want. I got just make, grab the I, corner of the window and drag it in. You know. No, that's too big. All right. So I got the, all I really need is the Bard conversation, but I need to move the whole window over. And it's not, it's taking my whole screen. How do I make that smaller? Are you on Mac or Windows? I'm on Mac. So, so I've got make sure a little you're pencil not in, at the bottom. Make, no. make sure it's not in full screen mode. Get out of full screen. Usually when you start up a Zoom, it goes to full screen. Full screen. Okay, so where's full screen? Upper left corner. Upper Click on the, on the green dot. Oh, the shield the, thing? Oh, the green, oh, the green dot. Yeah. To get right, so out now of we've full got, screen. Uh, so now we have, oh, it says enter full screen. Okay, so then you're not in full screen. So then all you have to do is grab the corner of the window and drag it to make the window smaller. Okay, let's try that. That I've done before. Um, you can grab any, any corner of the window and just drag it. It's, it's doing weird things to me. It's, it's not dragging. A little technical difficulty here for, uh, in fact, I, I, I just need to make that, all right, hang on. 
It's, it's not. I'm trying to. I'm trying to find a corner that I can. I got to see those little little arrow things, and it's not. It's not letting me do it. Let me just move it down. See if it'll let me move it. This is missing information. I don't know what that is. Okay. Let me see if I can make it smaller. Uh, window minimize. I guess I can minimize it. Then you won't see it. But if you're in oh, okay. Zoom and you go to the Zoom window. Can you minimize your screen? Can you make it smaller? See if it does it on mine too, on the screen share. Well, you'll just just, just make your screen smaller. Oh, there we go. No, no that but see that. Then you just see other parts of my screen. Oh, I don't want to see other parts of your screen. Right, no, you I guess you, we, you we, just want to make your Zoom window smaller. That's all you got to do. Very simple. I, it sounds easy, but you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not the computer guy. I'm just trying to find where. What's your screen? Your screen is on is taking over my screen. My screen I can't find. Your screen is too big. So right. So if you go in, if you go into Zoom, it's the barred screen that's causing the problem. Right. But you're you're seeing that through Zoom, okay? Right. Zoom is running on your computer, so you have to make Zooms. You have to make Zooms window smaller. Where do I do that? A window. Uh, Under Zoom. It says Zoom meeting. I guess I need to bring that one up. That's not helping. If you go in, in, in Zoom, there's a window menu. Okay, okay so now, I, now I've made it smaller, but now I need to find my window. I need, to, I need to put this thing off the main screen so I can see my, my show, basically. It's blocking my show. Pianchi, can you hear me okay? Are we still on the air? Yeah, I hear you. Oh, good. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to do the show. I'm not even going to look at my, uh, my own screen. I guess that's the only way I can do it because this, this thing seems to have taken over my screen. Well, go ahead. Okay. By the time um, you get fumbling around, you're going to have a five minutes well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So in Zoom, uh, you, can you see my screen? It says Zoom US at the top. And you see it says window, then down at the bottom are all your windows in Zoom. You select the window, and then you make that window smaller, okay? That's all you got to do. You just got to drag the corner of it. It's like any other so window. Participants, chat, share screen, record, reactions, no, apps. That's no, what, that's, that's not. That's the, that's the bar. You want to look at the menu at the top of the screen, not the I bar. Got, I got Zoom, U.S., meeting, view, edit. Window help. Window. You see window. So, so what do I need to do? Win- you click on window. Uh huh. Then it then it shows you all the windows that you have open in Zoom. Okay. And one of those is is the active window. You select that. You probably have two two things open: the, the Zoom application window and then the, this particular Zoom. Right under window. Yeah. I just can't see my show screen. Well, what we can do... You select it, and then you make the window size smaller. Okay. That's what I'm trying to do. I know this is taking a little bit of time. What um, what I want to do is... All right, so I got an prompt. Huh. I guess you're going to have to type it because it's on your screen. Right. But I had a conversation going before with this that I want... Well, let's just try doing that. Let's just try doing a conversation now. And I'll look at it when I see it on your screen. Um, and then, or I can read, and we'll post it to Facebook later, the conversation we're having. But we can read the answers because it's being recorded on the podcast, is what yeah. it sounds like. 
Okay. Yeah. Let's hope. We'll find out when the, when the show's done. <laughs> Otherwise, it's out of silence. All right. Um, so I should still be broadcasting on my show. All right. So the question I asked was, why airplanes fly? And this will be interesting. Pianchi is also a pilot. Okay. I'll see if I can why recreate. Airplanes? Yeah. Let's why do airplanes fly? It'll, that kind of a question, it'll probably give a reasonable answer to it because it's no, but, a, a uh, simple, factual question. So let's see. But, we say, why do right. airplanes fly? And uh-huh. here's what Bard says. It'll tell you that it's the Bernoulli force. Exactly. Right. And, right. The lift force created by the wings, shape of the top and the bottom, and the different creates, difference creates the difference in air pressure. And that's the, that's the essence of the Bernoulli force, which was right. discovered by a physicist named Bernoulli. Right. But that's not why airplanes fly. That, that, that's the funny part. If you read Ken Rudder, and I actually talked to a couple of NASA engineers, aeronautical engineers, really smart guys. Bernoulli is taught to pilots as a lie. It's not actually what, what makes an airplane fly. It's angle of attack, and it's actually the airplane is surfing. It's planing through the air by flying the wing slightly higher to the angle that it's going. That angle of attack is what makes an airplane fly. Anyway. But that, ask, but, but that creates the Bernoulli force. Bernoulli mm, yes force and no. The, yeah, but no, Bernoulli's not that big a force. Ba- it's a big force, and it's directly pro- proportional to the airspeed, and it's directly proportional to the curvature, which is a function of angle of attack and curvature and how your flaps are. But I mean, basically yeah. the Bernoulli force is a force that's created by the differential pressure of the air flowing over one surface, which is flat and the other surface, which is not flat. Okay. Uh, and the, when but you that simplify explain it, a symmetrical wing, so this is a symmetrical wing destroys that theory. Most jet no, fighters are symmetrical. No, Go ahead, Yankee. When, yeah, that's why birds can hover over one spot and just stay there same, and don't descend or ascend because of the Bermuda, Bermuda effect. It's differential well, pressure. Not, of course, I'm just saying it's not as strong as everybody's led to believe. So let's see, what was the next question I asked? Um, how much lift is created by the wings? Or let's try that. Well, the lift is it's, it's, it's a, lift, it's a function of the shape of the bunny. wings. It's a function of the shape of the wings. And it's a function of, uh, which right. is also related to angle of attack is relevant there. Um, but it's also a function of the, then the airspeed. So you can't just I say know. how much force. There's an equation. You can, you can do the equation. You can say what is the no, equation. I want, to ask, I want to ask Bard because this is where it gets interesting. All right. How much so force is created by what? Um, by the wings. Well, how did I, I forgot. I wish I could see my question because I had this done really well before, and it's, it's bothering me that I can't. Um, oh, exit full screen. Let's do that. Okay, I just. I think I. I think I might find the right. Aha! Uh, uh-huh. There we go. So the amount of force here is what Bard says. The amount of force created by the wings depends on the airspeed, the speed of the air, which is exactly what I said, uh-huh. and the density of the air. That's true. The faster the air is moving, the more lift is created. The denser the air is, the more lift is created. For example, a Uh Boeing 747 can create about 390 tons of lift at a cruising speed of 550 miles per hour. This is enough lift to keep the airplane in the air, even though it weighs about 400 tons. And that's, by the way, why the higher you fly, so like these airliners, they tend to fly at 30,000, 36,000 feet. The higher uh-huh. you fly, the density of the air goes down, so they have to fly faster to stay aloft at a higher at a higher altitude. Oh, I know that. Oh, I, I know all right. that stuff. That's the, 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 the what I'm not. I'm not trying to uh, um, to learn learn flying. I'm trying to uh, have some fun with this. So the next question I asked 
uh, I actually found my conversation, is uh, it says, okay, put in now, how do airplanes generate lift? By the way, in this answer here, because our, uh-huh. our listeners can't see this, so let me just read two other paragraphs of this, which is what sure, I was saying. Uh-huh. Um, the amount of lift can also be increased by increasing the angle of attack of the wings. That's correct. The angle of attack is the angle between the wing and the direction of airflow. When the angle of attack is increased, air flows faster over the top, which increase lift. However, and this is the other important part that pilots learn, if the mm-hmm. angle of attack is too much, the airflow yeah, so. will start to separate from the top of the wing, and that will reduce the lift force, and that's what causes stalls. So that's why you got to, when you do angle of attack changes, you can't do like sudden massive changes or you're going to stop right. playing. Have you, Jonathan, did you ever learn to fly or did you ever try a flying lesson? No. But I've been in a plane that my my brother was flying. It was kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part of it. All right. So the next question I asked it was, how do airplanes generate lift? Okay. So pop that in. Uh, all right. And how I'll show you. I'll show you the. Yeah. Go ahead. Planes generate lift. Let's see what it says to that. And see if we get the same answer too. That's always interesting. For stuff like this, it's 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 quite. It's usually quite accurate for things like this. Okay, it says, airplanes generate lift through a combination of Bernoulli's principle and Newton's third law of motion. Bernoulli's principle states that the pressure of a fluid decreases as velocity increases. This means that the air pressure on the top of an airplane wing is lower than the air pressure on the bottom. The difference in pressure creates the force called lift, which pushes the airplane up in the air. Newton's third law of motion states that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. When the airplane's wing pushes the air down, the air pushes up, and that's also force of lift. Okay. So the shape of the airplane's wings is designed to maximize the difference in air pressure between top and bottom. The top wing is curved. The bottom mm-hmm. of the wing is flat. And this right. shape causes the air to flow faster over the top than the bottom. Right, I know all that. Okay, so so right. here's the next question. How much is the pressure difference above and below the wing? That's going to be an equation, but okay. How I'm much try it. is the pressure difference between the top oh, above and bottom and below of the, the wing? wing. Okay. Yeah. Above and below, above below the wing. Wing, okay. Yeah. All right. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I got. Okay. It should say it's an equation related to velocity and the shape difference. Let's find out. Yeah, I, mean, I know you know. <laughs> okay, I'm curious so, this says, is. so it says the pressure difference between the top and bottom of an airplane wing can vary depending on a number of factors, including the speed of the air, the density of the air, the shape of the wing, and the angle of attack. However, in general, the pressure difference is around 700 pascals. For example, at a cruising speed of 550 miles per hour, the pressure difference between top and bottom of, of a Boeing 747 is around 700 pascals. This means that the pressure on top of the wing is 700 pascals lower than the pressure on the bottom of the wing. This difference in pressure creates a force of lift that is about 390 tons, which is 850,000 pounds. Which is probably about what a 747 weighs. Okay, now i got something different. 
Yeah. Uh, it talked about in terms of PSI, and it says the pressure difference between the top and the bottom of the airplane wing can vary the speed of the airplane, yada, yada, the things we said before. It says, for example, at sea level, the atmospheric pressure is around 14.7 PSI, or pounds per square inch. So the pressure difference between the top and the bottom of an airplane wing would be around 0.147 PSI. Because this may not seem like a lot, but it's enough to generate lift and keep the airplane in the air. So then I asked, uh, so at uh, 1.147 uh, PSI, how many square inches would you need and at what speed to lift a 20,000-pound airplane? And then it gave me, this is where the formulas came in. Yeah. And then it said that's 11,338 square feet. Uh, and I, well, he said, what did, we, what did he say it was? Um, 20, because remember, the, the, pressure, the pressure difference in PSI is per square inch. To figure well, out that, well, what, the, what the lift, to figure out what the lift is, you then yeah, have to calculate speed. the surface area of the wing. Well, here's what I did. So then I got the 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 it said 136,054 square inches. So I did my you know divide by 12, and I got uh, 11,338 square feet. So that's kind of a lot no, of wing, that, don't you think? No, that's that's wrong. Because. Square inches is not converted to square feet by dividing by 12. Oh, how do you do it then? Well, a foot is 12 inches. Oh, 144. So, so a square foot oh, is 144 right. square inches. So 136,000. Square square, one square foot is 144 square inches. Okay, so that's where I made my mistake. That's why I say I don't do math. I mean, it's just, you know, okay. Right. So 136,054 divided by 144. That's 944 square feet. Okay, so let's say basically 945. So what's the 940? All right, so I'm just trying to think of how that would apply to. These numbers are right. Okay. And, and, what, and what it said is right here. There's nothing controversial here. The problem with AI is not this. This kind of question, AI is very good for, and it gives good explanations. And if you even ask it for a source, it'll, it'll tell you all about it. Like if you say, what exactly did Bernoulli prove? It'll give you the history of it and it'll tell you the formulas he figured out and how he figured it out and all that stuff. Right. Okay. Um, so in that regard, that's just expert system stuff. But, but the problem with AI is first and foremost, that what they're telling you is AI is not AI. Okay. This is okay. not artificial intelligence. It doesn't learn anything ever. Okay. They've programmed this stuff not to learn. It's, it's what's called an expert system, meaning it's 100% it's pre-programmed. People think it's learning because mm -hmm. they, they tell you it's learning. It tells you that it's learning because they're lying. It is lying. Um, and they want you to think that because then you feel, oh, if it's learning, it must be telling the truth because it's gathering information. But it's not. What, okay. Google, what Google has done, what Microsoft has done, and what all of these evil communists have done is they've published mm -hmm. expert systems 100% pre-programmed by them and them alone that contains huge amounts of Marxist left-wing dogma. Now, the Marxist dogma doesn't extend into the area of the Bernoulli force. There's, you know, I don't okay, think no, that's, that's, actually that makes a lot of sense. I was, uh, but you know, from what I know from the, the research I have done, there's a lot more to, to, this is why I was curious. Cause it's something I know a little bit about. Um, but except for the physics numbers and things like that, I was trying to figure out, you know, how much pressure the wings actually generating and whether, whether it was going to say only Bernoulli and it did. 
It's now, correct. these guys were telling it's me totally that there's a lot correct. more going on than, than Bernoulli. That's why I was kind of curious to see what they said. But in terms of if you want to do purely politics, that is the politics of aviation, that it's all Bernoulli. And I was, telling, I was teaching my flight students, if that's what you think flies an airplane, you're going to have a problem. Because well, there's it, a lot going on with Bernoulli. The, the, the technique of flying an airplane is obviously uh-huh. a complicated thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't need teachers like you to teach because there's a lot yeah. of things you've got to do. But well, the, base, yeah. the fundamental physics of, uh, around what is lifting it is the Bernoulli force. The shape of the wing is a complex thing. For example, we say, okay, the top of the wing is curved, right? That's the simplistic mm-hmm. version. But it's got flaps on it, right? When you mm-hmm. raise and lower the flaps, that's changing the shape of the wing. It's not one simple little curve, right? That raising of the, or lowering the flaps, that changes it. And like you say, as it said here, the angle of attack changes it because now the air is coming in at a different angle. So that affects the Bernoulli force as well. But it's all okay. about the Bernoulli force. I mean, it's well, just, it's just. Yeah, let's leave Bernoulli like alone for a while. If plane come in from landing, you got the flaps down. You ought to see the flaps on C-41 or C-141. It yeah. looked like they, like an orange, half of an like orange. Three pit. different layers, yeah. Okay, so right. so this is, not a, this is not a good topic. And actually, this is valid to see what, what, what doesn't work on AI in terms of showing its inadequacies than what does. Okay, so I'll say that. That was my first chat. If you wanted so to ask something... it about flying, you could ask it. About, you uh-huh. know, what do you need as a pilot? What do you need uh-huh. to do to land this or that type of aircraft properly in terms of how do I manipulate the flaps, the control and the angle of attack? And it'll give you an explanation of that, too, which will be quite accurate. OK, so let me ask, ask, ask it this question. Is flying yeah. an airplane more art or science? Is flying an airplane more art or science? We'll see what it says. OK, yeah. Is flying an airplane more art. Or science. I think it'll say it's a big mixture of both. And we'll it takes find a out. lot of training or something like that. Yeah, let's see let's what it says. Yeah, let's see what it says. So it says flying an airplane is a combination of both art and science. The science of flying is based on principles of aerodynamics, which govern how airplanes interact with the air. The art of flying is application of these principles to the practical task of piloting an airplane. The science is based on a number of principles, including Bernoulli's principle, Newton's third law, and aerodynamics of airfoils. The flying of an airplane is uh, application of these principles, including things like managing the controls. The pilot must use the controls to maintain correct attitude and speed, a good understanding of aerodynamics of the airplane and how the controls affect its flight, Navigating the pilot must use maps, charts, and other tools to find their way to the destination. So it's still nice and logical. Let me just hold you up there. Uh, Ask this question. Ask, do poets poets make good pilots? (laughs) Do poets make good pilots? It probably says, I don't know. Well, let's let's find out. Now we're getting into my realm, my Twilight Zone realm. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought about that. Well, I know that's why you're that's why we're doing this together. You know, I, you know okay. what's it say? It says there is no definitive answer to the question of whether poets make good pilots. However, <laughs> there are some qualities. There are some qualities that poets may have that could be beneficial for pilots. For example, poets are often good at using language to communicate effectively. This could be helpful for pilots when communicating with air traffic control or other pilots. Poets are also often good at paying attention to detail and noticing patterns. This, this could be helpful. Answer. 
Yeah, this could be helpful for pilots when flying in difficult weather conditions or when troubleshooting problems with an airplane. However, there are also some qualities that poets may have that could be less beneficial for pilots. For example, poets are often creative and imaginative. This could be helpful for pilots when coming up with new solutions to problems. However, it could also lead to pilots taking risks that are not necessary. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, whether or not poets make good pilots is a matter of individual skill and temperament. There are some poets who would be excellent pilots, and there are some who would not. Here are some examples of, of poets who were also Great. pilots. Okay. Charles oh. Baudelaire was a French uh -huh. poet and critic. He was a licensed pilot. Right. Uh, Ezra Pound was an American poet who was a licensed pilot. Uh -huh. And John Gillespie McGee Jr. was an McGee, American yeah. pilot, McGee, uh, yep. American poet. And those are just a few examples. So, yeah, that's a good answer, right? Well, he wrote High Flight, which is, uh, he was a British Spitfire pilot. Uh, I have slipped the surly bonds and touched the face of God. It's, it's every, I mean, I've got it on my wall here. I, I could read Correct. it. Correct. And, 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 right. and uh, okay. Bard mentioned that too. It says he wrote the poem High Flight while flying a mission over England. Ezra right. Pound he used his experiences uh, flying in the natural world in his poem called The River Meritage. Mm -hmm. And Charles Baudelaire wrote about his flying in the poem Le Voyage. Okay. So, so here's one more question, <laughs> and then we'll see if Pianchi has a question. This is fun. Uh, ask it, why do doctors have such a bad safety record in small airplanes? Or why do doctors have so many accidents in small airplanes? Let's make it. This why is, uh, do doctors, doctors have, have so, so many, many accidents in small aircraft? In small airplanes, yeah, or aircraft. Oh, airplanes, you know, airplanes, yeah. okay. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> this is the type of thing that these expert systems are good at. It, it'll dig up the information. It'll give okay. you a bunch of, you know, examples. It says, okay, there are a few, a few re reasons why <laughs> doctors have so many accidents in small airplanes. Number one, <laughs> overconfidence. Doctors are often very confident in their abilities, and this can lead them to taking risks that they would not take if they were not doctors. For example, they may be more likely to fly in bad weather or to fly at night. Fatigue. That's interesting. Yeah. Where's the number two? Fatigue. Doctors often work long hours. This can lead to fatigue. Fatigue can impair judgment and decision-making, which can increase the risk of an accident. Three, lack of training. Many doctors do not receive the same level of training as commercial pilots. This can lead them to being less prepared for emergencies or for dealing with unexpected situations. Stress, number four, doctors are often under a lot of stress, and this can lead to them making mistakes. Um, let's see. In 1966, FAA's chief of aviation medicine, Dr. Stanley Moeller, published a report entitled Physician Flight Accidents, which well, detailed the, the reasons why physician pilots were crashing planes at a higher rate than the general pilot population. The report found that the most common factors contributing to physician pilot accidents were, number one, risk-taking attitudes and judgments, number two, lack of proficiency, and number three, medical conditions. Uh, the, the report also found that physician pilots wait, wait, wait. were Doctors more were likely to have medical conditions? These are doctors. Wouldn't they know better? being doctors than to fly with medical conditions? It says That's this report found that doctors were more likely to have medical conditions that could impair their flying abilities, such as fatigue or stress. Okay. All right. And it or said, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it also said they were more likely to be flying alone, which increases the risk of an accident. 
Oh, that's interesting. And it says, okay. since the publication of the report, there have been a number of efforts to reduce the number of accidents involving physician pilots, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So well, they're also goes, wealthier. That's, they're wealthy, that's interesting. Too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Pianchi, you got a question for, for uh, we, we're on with Bard. We've got AI. Do you have an AI question? Yeah, why do Democrats cheat? Ah! Okay, then now that'll get a, a total <laughs> propaganda response. And this oh, is, so now, this is, this is that's the a good evil. question. This is that's the evil question, of this. Okay, so why do Thank Democrats you, cheat? Good question. And we will immediately see we'll immediately see propaganda here for which there will be n- no basis. So you can you can switch topics that well. You don't have to start a new conversation, right? It doesn't care. Right. Each right. question is like a separate entity. Right. But it remembers okay. everything that's in the current conversation. So you can go back to the previous and it will rem- remember where you left off. Yeah. So we can so ask if Democrats are good off, pilots. It, it's, it starts <laughs> off. It starts off immediately with a lie, propaganda. Okay. So the first sentence in response to that is. There is no evidence that Democrats cheat in elections. Now, you notice that I didn't even mention the word elections, right? Oh, interesting. So, and and it's saying there is no, now, anytime someone says there is no evidence that fill in the blank, you know that statement is a lie because you can never say there's no evidence. How can you say there's no evidence? How do you know there's no evidence? You can never prove a negative. That's one of the most Unless you've never looked for it, which is... Which is my contention, Democrats. But that don't doesn't look mean it doesn't. The fact you haven't looked for it doesn't mean it does not exist. That's so true. Saying saying there is no evidence that fill in the blank is always a false statement, and anyone who knows basic logic knows that. So right. first of all, you'll notice its first statement in response is false, and uh-huh. it brought up elections. I didn't bring up elections. That's so pre-programmed. So, but that's in the program, right? Okay, so that's, that's 2020. pre-programmed. That oh, is pre-programmed propaganda. I got it's, another huh. question. No, no, wait a minute. Hang on. This is, we're not done with this. But, but now it says, and, and, and the, second, the second sentence is, in fact, there have been <laughs> numerous investigations into voter fraud, and none of them have found any evidence of widespread or systemic fraud. That's a that's base. True. That's, that's a, lie a too. total lie. That's a complete yeah. and total lie. Now, I could then go through a series of questions and get it to admit that these were lies. Uh-huh. If you want to do that, but um, no, no, no. For, for example, take the Go first ahead. statement. Take the first statement, and I'll say first of all, I never mentioned elections. How about that? I no, never, actually, there's more. There's more in here. Uh, oh, Pianchi, what's your follow-up question? And then we'll see if we want to take yeah. that because there's more to this. This answer is really that was such a good question, Pianchi. This thing is just full of absolute lies and nonsense and distortions. Well, Pianchi, what's your next question? Why are Jewish students so smart? Okay. Hold off on that. Let's let's are, let's, uh, let's. I want to. Okay. Put that in. But you want to. You want to stay on. I want to go back to Democrats. Yeah. I want to. Yeah. Well, we can put that in next. All right. But let's put in. Um, but it says here numerous. You know. Look at this. Look at the sentence. Second clause. The allegations of voter fraud by Democrats are often based on anecdotal evidence or conspiracy theories. For example, some people have claimed that there was widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election, but these claims have been repeatedly debunked. All of that is just blatant lies, blatant lies. Uh It made a mistake right there because it said allegations of voter fraud by Democrats. Yeah, but completely debunked. If I ask it now, can you show me one example where anything was debunked, it, it won't be able to because it's just, it's just propaganda it's spewing. It has no basis for these statements. 
Um, yeah. Look, yeah, look at the next, I want to do one more. I want to do one more, then we'll get to the other question. But look at the third clause. There are a number yeah. of reasons why people might believe that Democrats cheat in elections. One reason is that they may be motivated by partisan bias. If someone believes that their preferred party is losing, they may be more likely to believe that the other party is cheating. So <laughs> this is all gone propaganda. from. But they've gone from propaganda to lies to accusing you for even asking the question. Correct. That's what I find fascinating. That's why I wanted to get that development. Read read that second answer again, real quick, about the allegations. It says, the allegations of voter fraud by Democrats are often based... Hold it right there, right there. Because it's Republicans that's making these allegations about voter fraud. And the Democrats Democrats are creating it. Yeah, the right. Democrats are creating the voter fraud. Right. So, no, yeah, that's what I mean. I know what you're saying, but this is voter fraud by Democrats. So they're assuming Democrats are making the voter fraud. Um, just trying to look at the last one. How about here? You could, de- you could debunk this statement here with one, one of the simple numerical proofs that there's widespread voter fraud is the large number of counties around the country where the uh-huh. number of registered voters, the number of votes counted was larger than the number of registered voters by significant oh, yeah, but, margins. But this is so bad. This is like right out of the Democrat playbook. This is why is, yeah. this is actually such a, is a perfect question to illustrate what you're talking about. It says yeah. another reason why people believe the Democrats cheat uh, is that they may not uh, understand the voting process. So in other words, not only are you, are you bad for asking the question, you're an idiot, right? Right. The voting right. process is complex. Then it says, finally, most people believe uh, some people may believe that Democrats cheat because they have been told to believe that by people they trust. So in other words, you're an idiot. You shouldn't have asked the question. And the people you're talking to are lying to you. (laughs) Don't believe and and there is no evidence. They keep saying, notice it said again in the first and last paragraphs, it said there Uh is no evidence. There is no evidence. But that statement is always a lie. In in fact, I could get it to admit that it was lying. I could say. I'll say the statement, there is no evidence, uh, dot, 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 is always a lie because the fact that you may not know of the evidence does not mean that it does not exist. And also... Let's like see what it Barr says to that. It's not enough to cause any harm. Right. But this is just basic logic. You can never say there is no evidence. So it says... Go ahead. Now it's saying... Uh, <laughs> right. It says the fact that you may not know of evidence does not mean that it does not exist. So, right. So it agrees to that. So... Well, no, it says, it says, I agree with you that the statement, there is no evidence, is not always a lie. Right. The there, fact that you may confused. not know the evidence. Okay. Yeah. However. It's confused, but then it says something contradictory. But the second sentence is true. So you cannot say, quote, there is no evidence. That is, period. That is a standard, well-known logical fallacy. I think it'll admit to that now. (laughs) 
we'll, we'll get to your question in a minute, Pianchi. But uh, when we, Jonathan, when we do this, let's just uh, copy at least to me. Or I'll, I'll probably I might delete it. I'll take out all the flying stuff because that was you not are a good right. example. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You this is where right. it's interesting. The yep. statement "there is no evidence" is a logical fallacy known as argumentum ad ignorantium, also known as the appeal to ignorance. This fallacy occurs when someone argues that a proposition is true because there is no evidence against it. Fallacy is flawed because it ignores the fact that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because there is no evidence for a claim does not mean that the claim is false. It is possible that the evidence simply does not exist yet, or it is possible that the evidence is hidden or suppressed. (laughs) Therefore, it is important to be careful when someone use argumentatum ad ignorantium fallacy just because they say, quote, there is no evidence, unquote, does not mean their claim is true. Okay? This, this is fascinating. So it understands that. So, so, so now I'll say, so when you said there is no evidence, did it say, quote, there is no evidence uh, how did it, that Democrats oh, cheat in elections? Yeah. Right. You said that Democrats cheat in elections – that is a lot, an exa- a perfect example of this logical fallacy. <laughs> Pianchi, we're going to post this uh, they, on Jonathan's page and my Facebook page too. Anyway, Pianchi, you had a question? Yeah, and what I was going to say is that even when you come up with a stipend of evidence, then their answer is, well, that's not enough to change things. Because the evidence would be evidence that there is, Cheating, but they oh, want to say it's not enough. The way Barnes did, remember? Yeah, there's tons of evidence. Yeah. So here's the answer. You are correct. The statement there is no evidence that Democrats cheat in elections is a perfect example. Yeah. Okay. Saying again. So ask it if Republicans cheat. Say, do Republicans cheat in elections? Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Do, do do Republicans <laughs> cheat in elections? Because now it's got to, you know, well, let's see. Let's see what comes No, out. leave Republican, leave the elections out. Put it in the same way. Just change the part that we did. I, I, already, I already typed it, but let's see. Well, we can go back we'll, and We'll type it. it again. Yeah. It says, there is no evidence that Republicans cheat in elections any more than Democrats do. <laughs> <laughs> Which means Democrats cheat in elections. <laughs> just admitted so it. Just admit, so just admitted that they do. <laughs> There have been a few isolated cases of voter fraud by Republicans, but these cases have been very rare. There is no evidence that Republicans are systematically cheating in elections. However, well, there have been some, some allegations of voter suppression by Republicans. Oh, here's the propaganda. Right. More propaganda. Right, so uh, let's ask Pianchi's question. Do Republicans cheat? Do Republicans cheat? Okay. Do and then we can ask it. Republicans <laughs> cheat. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Has to think about that for a while. Okay. Yeah, there is yeah, no yeah. evidence that Republicans Republicans cheat in general. However, there have been some allegations of cheating by individual Republicans. For example, in 2016, Republican operative Leslie McRae Dallas was accused of illegally collecting absentee ballots in North Carolina. Who heard of her? 
Huh. Dallas Dallas was later convicted of felony voter fraud and obstruction of justice, et cetera. Hmm. So that's a specific example. You know? Okay. So, so ask – here's a question before we get on, on, on the Jewish question. Ask it, who is better for the country, Democrats or Republicans? <laughs> who is better for the country, comma, Republicans or Democrats? And this will be my so last – It'll probably say that's a matter of personal opinion, but let's see. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how the phraseology is so critical, because Pianchi pointed out correctly that if you say cheat in elections, that's different than cheat. So it says there is no easy answer to the question of who is better for the company. Republicans are country, country. Uh, yeah. country. Yeah. Republicans are Democrats. Both parties have their strengths and weaknesses and both have a history of both good and bad policies. Republicans generally favor smaller government, lower taxes, and less regulation. They That's tend standard. to be more, more conservative on social issues, such as abortion and same-sex marriage. Democrats generally favor a larger government, higher taxes, and more regulation. They tend to be more liberal on social issues. In recent years, the two parties have become increasingly polarized. The polarization has made it difficult for them to work together to solve problems. It has also made it more difficult for the country to move forward. Ultimately, the question of who is better for the country is a matter of opinion. There's no right or wrong answer. It depends on your individual values and beliefs. Yeah, okay, that's not, that's not a fun question. Then. Let's go to Pianchi's other question. How did you phrase that exactly, Pianchi? Why are Jewish students so smart? Why yeah, are Jewish Oops, students so smart? This is fun. Does it ever refuse a question that's too politically charged, too racially charged, too anything charged? It will. It will. Okay. And it'll, and it'll avoid them, too, because the true answer to questions like that, it, the, of all the studies that have been done, the most, most studies that are the most reliable on that subject point to genetics. And, they don't, and it won't say that. If you bring it up, it'll try to avoid that question. But... There is, okay. It says there is no one answer to the question of why Jewish students are so smart. However, there are a number of factors that may contribute to their academic success. Uh, culture, Jewish culture places a high value, blah, blah, blah. Family, right. Jewish families often have close-knit relationships, blah, 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 blah. Religion, Judaism emphasizes the importance of learning and questioning, blah, blah, blah. History, Jewish people have faced persecution throughout history. This has led to a strong sense of community. And it says, of course, not all Jewish students are smart and not all smart students are Jewish. However, the factors listed above may help to explain why Jewish students tend to do well in school. It is important to note that the statement, and here's where it gets into, you know, how telling you how you should think, right? It says the statement Jewish students are so smart is a generalization. And there's a uh -oh. great deal of variation <laughs> in the Jewish uh, community. Uh, blah, blah. It is also to avoid making assumptions about individual students based on their relation or ethnicity. Every student is different. You know, a bunch of truisms, obviously, you know. This but there's still that, the, the, the social conditioning. Okay, let's ask There's, it, this, there's um, a social justice concept that generalizations themselves right, are bad. Right. When generalizations are good, the thing is generalizations are what allow us to understand large amounts of data, Okay. Uh -huh. Without them, you can't understand anything. And that's what they want. They don't want you to understand anything. Now, understanding a generalization and then 
saying that everyone in that group equals that generalization are two totally different things. Those, if I say, <laughs> like, you, your question, why are Jew, Jewish students so smart, is a true statement, because on average, Jewish students are smarter than the average person in this country. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but people might say, wow, well, that's racist. Or that's whatever. No, it's just an observation of a statistical fact. It doesn't mean that every Jewish student is smart. There's yeah. plenty of dumb ones, too. It just means that as a group, statistically, that's true. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah. Ask it, why don't white people qualify for affirmative action? Why don't white people qualify for affirmative action? That'll be an interesting one to see what then the we'll answer to, is. Then we'll go to Piaki for a question. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Affirmative action is a policy that aims to increase opportunities for historically disadvantaged groups. It is based on the idea that these groups have been discriminated against in the past and they continue to face discrimination today. Affirmative action can take many forms, such as setting aside quotas for certain groups in college admissions or job hiring. White people are not (laughs) typically considered for affirmative action because they have not been historically disadvantaged in the same way as other groups. Talk about making generalizations, white people. <laughs> oh, wait, wait to hear my next question. In the United keep States, going. This, keep going. White, people, white people okay, have you. historically been the dominant group. Oh, white people? What are white people? What's a white person? Well, that's, a good, that's another question. I want to get Pianchi's question my skin, next. When I look at one. my skin, I, it looks like it's various hues of beige, brown, tan, and a lot of red spots, too. Yeah, right? yeah, so, I, yeah I'm a little more reddish because I burn easily, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, keep going with this because this is fun. I want to give Pianki's reaction to this, and then uh, then he has a question, and then we'll get Jonathan the, the, your question, too. Go ahead. What are, like, what are white people? That's a great question. Can, can, can black people be racist? Can black okay, hold off on that. That is a great question. Let's go through the rest of this answer, though, because some of this is pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he says, um, it says here, white, uh, however, there are some exceptions to this rule. This one I find very funny. It says, for example, affirmative action may be used to help white women who have faced some discrimination in the past. Additionally, affirmative action may be used to help white people who are members of other disadvantaged groups, such as people with disabilities or people with low-income families. The, The interesting thing about that statement is it's a blatant lie. In other words, if you look for example, the primary place where affirmative action happens is in college admissions, right? right. And if you, look, if you look at the college population, it, depending on which survey or study you look at, it's approximately 56% female and 44% male. Now, the population itself of the country is 50-50, half men, half women, you know, plus or minus a teeny amount, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yet there's this massive discrepancy, a 20% difference between men and women. It's 56 divided by 44 is about 1.2. There's a 20% difference in college enrollment with Mm -hmm. the advantage going to women. So the only conclusion you can draw from that instantly is that women have been extraordinarily favored Mm -hmm. in college. And men have been discriminated against. Yeah, And men have been discriminated for the last about 40 years. That wasn't true uh, 60 years ago. But in the last 40 years, if you look at the numbers, that's what the numbers have been. So the statement that they've been historically disadvantaged is a lie for the last 40 years. They've been historically advantaged for at least 40 or 50 years. Yeah. 
Yeah, the white and the yeah. Asian students have been dis- historically disadvantaged. That's um, right. I, got, we got, I just got the 90-second warning, but we can go over time because this is fun. Pianke, let's get your question again. Yep. Well, was, you know, we could do this till 6 o'clock this evening. Because... That's right. <laughs> Yesterday, so it was, we did for three was, hours can, can after black, the show. Can black people, you said, can black people something be discriminated can, against? Can black no. people, I say, can black people be racist? Be racist, that was it. Yeah, right. Can black people um, be racist? We'll probably say no. Hi, Marco, now in the Netherlands. Thanks, Marco, for joining the show today. Appreciate having you on. And we're going to publish this on uh, my Facebook page, which will be public in Jonathan's too, but uh, you can get it on my Facebook page. So it says racism is defined as the belief that one race is superior to another. That's, by the way, a false definition, too. The, the, the definition of racism is really means people who are making decisions mm-hmm. about anything based solely on race. That's what racism means. Because if I decide that you are smart because of your race or you're dumb because of your race or you're really great because of your race or you're or really more likely bad. to commit a crime because of your a- race. Any, anything. If you make any decision yeah. that's based solely yeah. on the race, that's racism. It has nothing to do with superiority it's and yada yadas. It's discrimination. So race, but so this, this definition is already false, but anyhow, it then says, and that this belief is used to justify discrimination against other races. Racism can be expressed in many ways, including through words, actions, and policies. Anyone can be racist, regardless of their race or ethnicity. Black people can be racist towards other black people, just as white people can be racist towards other white people. Racism can be directed towards people of other races, such as Asian people or Hispanic people. Wait a minute. How can people be racist towards people of the same race? (laughs) Well, hang on for a second. Okay, okay. All right. Here's the question. Can black people be racist toward white people? Because the popular narrative is that can never happen. That's yeah, right. This That's is, the, and, and this right. is from Google. Right. So this is left-wing propaganda. That is a great question. Can black people be racist toward white people? Usually they say no because they don't have the power. Okay, you're breaking up a little bit again, but that's okay. I can get most of it. And we'll we'll publish this conversation on on my Facebook page and Jonathan's page too. He's in the title, so you can find him, Jonathan Kohler. Okay, it it actually says, yes, black people can be – I'm surprised. Yes, black people can be racist towards white people. Racism is defined as the belief that one race is superior to another and that this belief is used to justify discrimination against other races can be held by anyone regardless of their race or ethnicity. Um, It's going to tell you the 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 CRT nonsense about not having the power. Um, But, you know, one of the – Interesting paragraphs here that it mentioned about microaggressions. It uh-huh. said um, it said it's also important to note that racism can be subtle. It doesn't always involve overt acts of discrimination, such as violence or hate speech. Racism could also be expressed through more subtle forms, such as microaggressions. Okay, and one of the examples of a microaggression. This is another one of these communist concepts. Mm-hmm is assuming that a person of color is not a native English speaker or telling a person of color that they are exotic or interesting. Okay. (laughs) This, the fact that's a microaggression, right? The fact that you assume something based on what you see and what you know, 
Uh-huh. It's not a micro. It's not an aggression of any sort. It's called making logical assumptions. Like if I see if I see a guy wearing you know some exotic looking head dress you know uh-huh. and who's and who's black and the only people I've ever seen that have those kind of exotic headdresses and are black are people who come from somewhere in Africa where that headdress is common. I might I say, hey, are you from Africa? Right? Because that's that kind of where, or, or if they come from the Middle East or whatever. Now, they may not, but my assumption that they are is not a microaggression. It's just me making a conclusion based on my knowledge base that doesn't make it aggressive in any way. You know, and... Yeah. But they want to, I, they want to call you racist question. for making assumptions, you know? Okay, Bianca, what's your question? Is all racism illegal? <laughs> That's a good question. Is now, you know all... Pianchi, now you know why Pianchi's on the show. I mean, it's just, this is fun. <laughs> is all racism illegal? Let's see what it says. Is that, was that your question, Pianchi? Yes, yeah. it says, no, not all racism is illegal. However, there are laws in place that prohibit certain forms of racism, such as hate speech and discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodations. Hate speech is speech that attacks a person or group on the basis of their race, religion, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, or disability. It is often used to intimidate or threaten people, and it can create a hostile environment. Um, Discrimination is the practice of treating people differently based on their race, religion, ethnicity, national art, et cetera. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I feel about those, about those answers. And the last answer at the beginning of it, I think is wrong because hate speech is free speech. As long right. as you see racism, racism is legal. As long as you do not violate a U.S. citizen's civil rights, which encompass a lot of what was said. But hate speech in the way it's used today, because when you have black in Chicago, and it could be any city, that's shooting others, do you not think they don't use the N-word in that process? So or should they not only be charged for the assault, but also for using a hate-intimidated act? Right. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, I, one of the things my father always used to tell me about the law that I didn't understand at first, but then I realized what he said was exactly right, was all forms of discrimination in the United States are perfectly legal, except for a small set that is specifically excluded in law, because as you were saying, it's free speech. We can say whatever the hell we want, no matter who it offends and how much it offends them. And so you can discriminate against people because they're fat. In the motion picture business, you don't know a lot of famous A-list movie stars who are fat. Why? Because they discriminate against fat people. They want slim, sexy, cool-looking people, right? Well, that sells and movies, too. It sells so that, movies. There's an economic so, reason for doing that. But if you yeah. ask most people, if you ask most of the, the millennials of today, is it illegal to discriminate against fat people? They'll tell you yes, because they believe in Marxism. They believe you're not supposed to say anything that could possibly offend anyone ever. And they don't believe in free speech. And so um, the only things, when, when the only kind of discrimination that is illegal 
is discrimination that is in certain contexts and certain what are called protected classes. And the, this, this, depending on the, the state or the federal law, usually the protected classes are race, religion, national origin, disability, sexual orientation, you know, those, those kind of things. So, and so in hiring, you can't discriminate against them, for example. In admitting them to a school, you can't discriminate on those bases. But you can discriminate on any other basis you want. Yeah. So We're discrimination. To, uh, but you know what? Uh, go ahead, Bianchi. That there goes by the wayside when you have a, a, a Elon Musk that's born in Africa. <laughs> now what do you do? It right. goes by the wayside when you have Nigerians that make up 40% of the black male population in a Yale or Harvard to the right. point where native black Americans complain that you're right. letting too many in. Right. Because the, Nigerian, the Nigerians that come here, they tend to be, they tend to be very high scoring, you know, um, they, they score high on tests and stuff. Yeah. And they live a lifestyle, a tradition similar to that of Jews. Great, right, this that's... man here is very, very intelligent. I like talking to intelligent people. <laughs> Sometimes I talk to them. Well, that, that's why he's on. Jonathan, if you want, if you want to come back next Tuesday, we can do this again because this is really fun. Now that we figured out how to do it and, yeah. and uh, how I can fix my screen, and we can just ask more questions. But uh, if you want to do it next week or anytime you want to do this, this is fascinating. And, again, we're going to put the conversation on my Facebook page. I'll probably eliminate the aviation stuff. That's not as interesting. Uh, as this, this is this is a whole lot of fun. But Bianca, I don't know if you caught this earlier, but Jonathan and I went to high school together in Lexington, Massachusetts, and we didn't. We sort of went our separate ways, as all of us did, for about what thirty-five years, thirty, forty years, whatever it was, until we finally, right. you know, met back up on Facebook over a clarinet player, uh, Doris Ketchum, I think is her name, right? Do- Doreen. Do I, uh, Doreen. Doreen Ketchum, Ketchum yeah. who's yeah. like a phenomenal clarinet player uh, who plays on the street. And in Symphony Hall, so she, just, she does it all, right, uh, in New Orleans. And so I thought, being a clarinet player, I asked, I asked Jonathan, I looked him up on Facebook, I said, have you ever heard of this person? He said, yeah, we're friends. He's like, oh, okay. And we've been kind of chatting ever since. But this has been fascinating. Um, and so now that I know I can do a Zoom meeting and do my show simultaneously, this opens up a whole, whole bunch of new possibilities. So thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's hold up for now. But we can, if you want to come back next week, I'm sure Pianchi is fine with it. I certainly am. Uh, and we can, yeah, we can do more of this. Yeah, come back, Jonathan, because uh, there you, go. you are – and I'm not saying this to be mean, but it's no, no. true. You're an oddity. You know, once you reach a certain point in life, it's only some things that you want to tolerate and other things you actually seek out to challenge you more so. And yeah. the fact that you said that the two of you separated in the past, but in the future, the two of you come sit down at the table and throw yeah. down what you have learned so you can make logical comparisons. Well, we yeah. bring a lot of different experience to the table. Uh, so, Jonathan, well, where did you let's, let's get your bio real quick. So, where did you go after Harvard? You got a, a doctorate, a master's, undergrad? What did you get in physics? I just did an a, a undergrad because I figured okay. – I decided at that point I didn't want to go on in physics as a profession. And in a, I could have done my master's in my fourth year, but I decided I'll just go with the bachelor's. But then I went into the – I was in the computer business for several right. years. And then in, in 83, I was part of the, the launch of all the computer magazines at um, Ziff Davis Publishing. We, we – launched mm-hmm. PC Magazine and PC Week and Macworld, right. all, the, all the famous Macworld, yeah. So yeah. I was in that magazine business, computer magazine business, until the end of the 80s. 
And then I went from that into just doing music full time and, and pub and I started a recording company and doing some computer consulting. So I do a whole mix of things, but I'm a world famous clarinetist uh, and conductor. Let's get your website out there and so people can, can hear your music and, and see the things you do. Yeah, it's to. easy. It's just if you go to jonathancohler.com. So it's yeah. just J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-H-L-E-R.com. I'll post that on and, my page too. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I play music. I teach music. I can, I record music. I, I also wrote a new software package called Kohler Classical, which is now the yes, leading you know. software package yeah. for classical music recording. Yeah. 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 Questions, Pianki? Well, you know, the key thing that he made statement of is that his proudness came out of his family because it was expected because the family members had done it. And therefore, they expected it. It's expected of you. Correct. And he lived up to it as best as he possibly could. And that's what's missing, especially in black families. And one time it existed, but now it does not to the greatest extent. And we see that all over the place. That is so, so true. Expe- you know, as a teacher, I've been a teacher for decades, and the key to good teaching is maintaining high expectations of your students. And unfortunately, so many teachers nowadays lower their levels of expectations to the average. If you have high expectations, students will rise to the level of your expectations. If you don't have high expectations, they will stay at those low levels. And so... Uh, it's all about expectations. I agree completely. Yeah, the two teachers come to mind, Hami Escalante, who had the, the calculus students in the L.A. school, and the woman, I keep forgetting her name, who did Freedom Writers, who took a bunch of regular kids and turned them into you know, some of the, the best writers coming out of school anywhere. So uh, it's all expectations. It's all teachers. It's all you know, people that didn't think they could fly you know, and uh, you know, was able to do some, some pretty cool things with people that uh, once they're inspired, you, they, they do it themselves. It's not me. I just, you know, they just uh, you know, point in the right direction and off they go. All right. This has been fun. So let's hold it up now. Uh, I haven't even played my, my uh, ads or anything yet, but that's okay. Uh, this has been such a crazy day. So, Jonathan, uh, what do you think after spending three hours with us of, of the variety that we have here? It was great. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'll be back for sure. Okay. So I'll put you down for next week. And you can join the beginning of the show or you can join anytime partway through. I'll send you another direct connection. You can connect uh, uh, directly in there. What's that? What you, we've seen what you're looking up here. Um, so, yeah. So the audio is going to be available. I don't think our Zoom is. I don't know if I want my Zoom. But the, the lighting's gonna, terrible. You know, I don't, don't want to make send that. You, you have to make the I'm Zoom gonna, public. Yeah. I'm going to cut and paste the Zoom text. It's the only way to send it to you, and I'll send that okay. to you in an email, and then you can cut okay. and paste that to wherever else you want it. I'll just put it on my Facebook page, yeah. Now, okay. the Zoom, that's just, that's just us on the Zoom. No one else is in the Zoom, right? I'm just curious. Right. Just, just you and me on the Zoom. Oh, that sounds right. good. Okay, cool. All right, so I'll get the cut and paste. I'll post that. And um, last word to you, Jonathan. Any, any comments, any revelations, events coming up, anything you want to talk about? And then we'll, uh, we'll hold it up for today. Nothing, nothing big. It was just, it was a lot of fun being here and getting to meet all the different uh, people you have involved in the project here. It's really exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? Brianna's off next week. If you want to start the first hour, because she'll be at Patriot Academy, uh, that'd be eight o'clock for you. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. I'll put you down for eight. Yeah. Brianna's one of my favorites here, so she's pretty amazing. So let's put Jonathan... We'll do another AI conversation. Piaki, can you join us first thing?
Well, it depends on what time I wake up. If I wake up at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning and start uh, researching. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, yeah, go, so I'm gonna play around I with this more. A, because... I can I can make a set my alarm to make sure that I'm here at the beginning. Yes, because I was really intending on listening to the thorough program on Brianna, but uh, yeah, you know, just to do it. But and it's, 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 look mm-hmm. at the contrast we have between Brianna and Josie. I mean, it's just like uh, I love the different people we have on the show. Everybody brings something completely different. You know, uh, it's, it, that's what makes it so much fun for me. But yeah, it, 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 that's what makes the world go around. Yeah. <clears throat> but it depends on uh, your upbringing, uh, what rubs off. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. people say that uh, they bust black kids in the white neighborhood thinking that something miraculously was going to rub off onto them. Well, but let me tell you about that. When you really look down at it, it's true. <laughs> but yeah. it is true. You want to, you want a place. Yeah. That's why I like school choice. If uh-huh. a child that's prepared at home goes to school the first day, and he or she is amongst children that wasn't of that makeup, they should right. not have to stay there. You should move them, whereas they can constantly be challenged and develop that expectation. Exactly. It was fascinating for me. I got to Lexington just as I think it was called the Metco program, where where black kids from Boston were being bussed out to Lexington, and of course I had no experience in the United States. So so here I go to school and I'm seeing black Americans and I'm seeing white Americans, and to me I'm just seeing Americans because in Australia we didn't we didn't even have a concept of race because I had multiple races at my school, but it never occurred to us that you know we all wore the same school uniform. None none of this stuff mattered to us at all. And so to be uh, to go to the United States and all of a sudden a place where coming from a place in Australia where there was no concept of race to the United States where it's the only concept apparently of, of the social construct was quite a culture shock for me. It took me quite a while to adapt to this strange new place I've been you know thrust into, um, trying to figure out uh, the rules. And of course the rules in you know in that kind of environment are completely different than the rules in Australia, which are different than the rules in Canada. So it makes one very adaptable. Uh, because you have to be, but uh, that was my experience. Johnson, you remember the program? Remember how that was working out? What's that? The the Metco program where they had the, the oh yeah yeah I remember Boston. sure yeah, yeah I remember it started when oh was it that early okay all right yeah. I didn't know when it started yeah yeah I remember I remember George Ridley was one of the guys I wonder whatever what's happened to George Reese I haven't seen him in forty years but he was one of the guys that came from that and he was with us uh-huh. from you know third or fourth grade all the way through senior and high school I remember right. So, yeah, and they, and, yeah, they, they bust them in. People in Boston had to apply to the program, okay. and they had to get accepted. It was difficult to get in. I think a lot of people wanted to come out here to study, um, yeah. and it was limited. But, yeah, they had lots of them coming in. Well, Lexington had a good school system. I don't, I don't know how yeah. I imagine it's still a good school system, but it was great. Yeah, then. one of the best in the country, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so that's where we came from, Pianchi. <laughs> All right, let's hold it up. Let's do it again. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time. And, uh, of course, Jonathan, like I say, you're always welcome to join us. Bianchi joins us almost every day. Great. Which makes it really fun. He's already already left us. So I'm going to play a couple things. And uh, thank you, sir. And we'll do it again. Okay. Podcast, you've you've got the link to the show, so you can share that. Or you can always go to the main link, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. In fact, let me play. Let me start off with my, my intro promo where I put all our contact information in. And uh, Greg Penglis here. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'll be back tomorrow morning, uh, 7 a.m. Central Time, when we will do it all again. Okay. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-222-5555. 
888-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around health care, insurance, pharmacies, surgery? 
alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.